Okay, good evening everybody. Welcome, welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Sorry I'm a little later than usual this evening. I uh, have been uh, delayed. Tonight was my son's middle school band concert. It's end of the year school event time and uh, I made it back. But it was anyway, it was a little bit more chaotic of an evening than usual here tonight. So uh, thank you guys for all bearing with me. Um, anyway, so thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, really excited to be here. Session number 105 as we can uh, continue our leisurely but inexorable uh, trip through many meetings. We haven't had too many meetings so far. We're up to two. We have not had a grand total of two meetings Uh, uh yeah, no, two. Yeah, yeah, we're still at two. Because we had, of course, the meeting between Frodo and Gandalf, uh, and we had the meeting between Frodo and his reflection in the mirror last week, which, uh, of course, uh, was the primary thing uh, that we spent time on. Uh, and uh, tonight we're going to have uh, some more meetings, of course. So that's going to be exciting. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we are getting close to 111, JJ, and I've heard rumors I've heard rumors that there might be uh, there might be uh, some festivities uh, in the making for the 111st in 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 celebration of our 111st episode. Uh, so uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see about that. Um, anyway, um, so quick, uh, let me uh, do announcements before I forget because I have a couple uh, important announcements tonight, uh, including first I was told uh, to tell people. <laughs> This is kind of a negotiation. Uh, this is a, a special favorite of mine. So, Mythmoot, which is coming up very soon now, at the end of the month, in just a couple weeks, uh, that, that we've been able to extend the Mythmoot registration deadline until next Thursday, the 13th. So, this is something every year I fight and fight for this. Every year I, like, am, whenever I'm told, like, we have to close registration at this point early, I'm like, no! I hate closing registration early. Uh, this is like a, uh, not an argument exactly, but this is like a, a, a protest that I make every year against, uh, you know, can we close it as late as possible? So anyway, we are getting going to be able to close. So we're going to be able to keep it open for one more week. Uh, we were told we, we could work that out with, uh, with, with our venue. So you can register. This is for now the, the, the live attendance registration. You can still register for the live attendance registration at Mythmoot through the 13th of June. So that's next Thursday, uh, two weeks, no, one week from two days from now, right? So nine days from now, that's uh, the last time that you can register for the in-person event. Mootcast, however, the registration is open all the way through. So all the way through, even to the end, indeed. Like if you wanted to still register for uh, Mootcast on the last day, you could still do that. And Mootcast, of course, is uh, uh, virtual attendance at the entire thing. You'll get not only the ability to uh, tap into anything live uh, that you wanted to that's going on uh, during the day, but also... Also, you will get a video archive, access to a video arch archive of everything so that you can see even the um, the the uh, simultaneous uh, 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 sessions and things. So that's going to be cool. Um, Tony, not very much of it will be on YouTube this year. Uh, this is it's it's Mythmoot. The plan was never really to broadcast Mythmoot on YouTube. Um, it's one of the things. 
to me, it's always been kind of one of the, the sort of the give and takes, right? I mean, you guys know I love to post things, uh, to post recordings and things uh, and make sure that everything is available. But events are, uh, you know, events are events, right? I mean, you know, this is something where like, you know, if you're not, if you're not there, you miss it. Mootcast is the closest we can come to that. Um, but, you know, they're not going to be sort of archived for all time. And especially at events and stuff, there's always much more issue with, you know, people's privacy and there's so many other people involved in everything. It's, it's not the same as just like me putting my own stuff on YouTube and stuff. So all you want is the reenactments, Tony. Well, that will be broadcast on Twitch. I promise. Um, Definitely. Uh, we're going to do a reenactment and I'm going to see somebody was suggesting somebody who has been at Mythmoot and had been at this venue before was pointing out that there's a football field uh, right next door. Like if we if we go right down the road, there's a football field reenacting the flight to the Ford with yard markers actually sounds super attractive. We could get the scale working pretty well if we did that. I don't know if they'll let us invade their football field, but maybe they will, or maybe they won't notice, or maybe we can finish before they chase us away. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll call the high school. Anyhow, um, one way or another, whether it's in the open fields or whether it's on the on the football field, uh, then we can um, uh, then then we can we can get that sorted out. I'm let's see, uh, Renwus. It's definitely not going to be on Saturday. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, I'm definitely. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Exa- I, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent privy to the schedule, so I don't know for sure when the reenactment itself is actually going to be. It might be on Thursday. It might be on Friday. There's a lot going on, on at Mythmoot, so uh, I'm not sure. But I think it's it's definitely going to be in the first half. I'm pretty sure it's going to be either Thursday or Friday. Um, uh, so, oh, we've got okay. Thank you. Uh, Sharon knows much more than I do, as usual. Uh, okay, Friday. So we're going to do the reenactment on Friday. Great. Excellent. Um, cool. <laughs> Excellent. Mad violinist wants to be a boulder, a spiritual boulder. <laughs> That's gonna. It could be a that. Um really could be a, a uh, an excellent uh, masquerade ball uh, um, costume, actually, to be a spiritual boulder. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see. But the reenactment, I'm definitely going to post the reenactment on Twitch. I'll, I'll bro- I'm, I'm planning to broadcast, and we're going to be outside, um, so we're not going to have all of our regular, you know, we have... Uh, some fairly elaborate broadcasting setups prepared for Mootcast, uh, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to be broadcasting um, uh, the reenactment on my phone uh, as I'm walking around. So, anyway, all right. Uh, so that's so that's 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 the plan. So anyway, wow, but I'm getting distracted now. And once again, right, somebody mentions boulders, and we're distracted all of a sudden. Anyway, so Mythmoot. So extending the Mythmoot deadline to the 13th of June, and of course, Mootcast you can sign up for all the way through. Couple other quick announcements. Um, we have. Um, uh, oh yeah, the I had mentioned that uh, last week I had mentioned that we had had to cancel or postpone rather uh, our discussion of Camelot and the Mythgard Movie Club. Um, that's gonna that has been officially rescheduled for July 11th, so that's going to come up in July. Uh, we'll be I'll be looking forward to getting back and talking about some more Arthurian stuff there um, in July. So that's definite, uh, and we'll be back, be back with that after the Mythmoot season. 
uh, is coming up next week. Sarah Waldorf is doing uh, her thesis theater, presenting on her MA thesis at Signum. Uh, she's she did a philology thesis, uh, so uh, she is she's going to be talking about the uh, old English Beowulf, and specifically, and I I I think this is a really sexy title uh, on the use of the date of case in the old English Beowulf. I mean, come on, right? Um, it's going to be awesome. So that, so anyway, that's. Um, um, so you can see the kinds of wild and crazy flights of fancy that our philologists get up to, you know, when they're doing their serious scholarship there. Um, and uh, I know, right, Tony, that is like next level nerd stuff, right? Um, so that's next Tuesday um, at, wait, I don't remember the time, but Sharon will put the time uh, in the Twitch chat here and I'll see it when that comes up. I forget the time, but I will be reminded soon, I'm sure. Um, other thing is... Um, we just started a new uh, uh, promotion uh, on my old Story of the Hobbit class, which was awesome. Uh, one of the that was still, I think, the highest enrollment we've ever had in any single uh, Signum class we've ever offered. That was a really, really fun class. Um, so yeah, Story of the Hobbit um, is uh, on sale for seventy five dollars uh, uh, for any time audit, just for a couple weeks on through the end of next week, actually through the eighteenth. So. Uh, Wanted to make sure that you guys knew that that was happening. And then last brief reminder that I'll be away next week. Um, so I won't be um, here <laughs> next week because I'm away. Uh, so we won't have any class next week. Um, I'm going to be down in Charlotte. And I know I've broadcasted uh, from Charlotte before. That's the room you got, some of you may remember. It's the one where it looks like I'm in prison. But I'm not going to be able to broadcast this year. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more difficult in any way. I'm... Uh, I'm going to be doing some fun stuff. I'm going to be locked away and writing accreditation documentation, so that'll be super fun. Uh, anyway, um, good things going on uh, down there. So I know that might not sound super exciting, but it actually is really super exciting. Um, <laughs> now, see, the life, I'm kind of doing it like Allison through the looking glass, right? First I get locked in prison, and then I trespass on the football field, right? So, you know, the cause and effect doesn't quite work uh, exactly the same way. Um, uh, yeah, very good. Okay, so um, <laughs> those are the announcements for today. Um, oh, thank you. Great. I see that Sharon has posted a link to the uh, uh, to the thesis, uh, th to Sarah's thesis theater. Um, and uh, so you guys can check that out uh, and uh, look that up there. OK. All right. Um, very good. Let us. Um, I think just trying to make sure I've remembered everything. I think I did. I think I remembered everything. That is good. All right. Oh, um, a question. How long will the Moodcast videos be accessible after the conference? If you've signed up uh, for Moodcast, you will have access to those videos indefinitely. They're not going to go away. Um, so you will, you, will, you will have those and be able to access them uh, as, 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 as long as you need to. So, yep, no problem. Um, ooh, Tony, you did a discussion about uh, Tolkien and Alice at Denver Comic Con. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's... Uh, that's that. That's very awesome. There's I, there's so much there. I actually, it's something I would really like to think about more uh, because, of course, I mean, I love Through the Looking Glass, and I know how much Tolkien loved Through the Looking Glass, but I, I've never really kind of thought it through. You know, what are the you know sort of uh, you know links and similarities? There's, there's a lot to talk about there. I think. Um, 
But uh, anyway, oh yes, Moodcast, or sorry, Moodcast. Mad Violinist asking about Moodcast. Yes, it is included in the regular registration. So if you are able to come to MythMood even just for one day, uh, you will get Moodcast included in that. So you'll get access to all the video recordings and things. So, yep. Nope. And you can watch the videos in the other days that you can't be there. Or if you're there for the whole time, which is obviously best, then you'll you'll get the videos. So you'll be able to watch the recordings of all the sessions that you had to miss when you have to choose where to be. Right. So uh, that'll all be uh, that'll all be easy. OK. Um, excellent. Very good. Um, that's. Um, let us continue um so tonight elvesir is the name of our of our, of our class because of course we're getting back to sam and he's gonna say elvesir again uh which of course is really touching that's one of my uh that's one of the earliest times that i recall in our exploring the lord of the rings journey when one of the observations that you guys made like really like one of the times when I, when I got really, really excited about an observation that you guys made that I hadn't noticed before, the Elvesir thing, uh, in, um, that three times repeated Elvesir, uh, in Sam's speech, uh, there after he's been infenestrated, uh, in, uh, at, at, at Bag End. And of course he says it again here, uh, with exactly the same, uh, the same kind of, uh, uh, extra exclamation point that we see back there. So, that's right, Rowan of Gondor. We are actually going to have Sam walk into the room tonight, and it's going to be exciting. But first, first, uh, Matt had a. We, we need to talk more about the last homely house east of the sea because we 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 barely scratched the surface. I'm just kidding. But Matt had a wonderful point which just blew my mind. So uh, I'm 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 excited about this. Um, he's thinking about that that Hobbit quotation. Uh, And he says, I suspect that the quotation from The Hobbit is the moment in the text where Bilbo's pen has been set down and Frodo has taken his up as the primary author. It is is a natural move for Frodo to invoke his uncle at that moment when the story fully becomes his rather than theirs, although we will see that Bilbo is still ready for adventure and responsibility in the council. Indeed, the fact that we don't get Bilbo's point of view of the council or the poem being read in the Hall of Fire is evidence that Bilbo did not make it that far in his storytelling. It also explains why Rivendell becomes the last homely house east of the sea, as it is the last place Frodo can find something like rest before he goes to Valinor. He will not find complete comfort even in Bag End. That will eventually be Sam's reward. It won't be his. That is the point of view of someone who knows the extent of his injury, an injury that will not be healed until Valinor. That is the moment and the state of mind he will have when he takes up the duty of recording the story that is scribed into the Red Book after his return from Mount Doom. In that sense, last here can be read both geographically, the last as Frodo moves to and from his quest, as well as chronologically. That is amazing, isn't that? Isn't that amazing? Um, so, first, uh, brief comment first on the the narrator thing. Um, th- I, I I do think um, thinking about this kind of transition, this makes sense to me. I'm not sure that I can totally get behind the idea that this is the transition point. I mean. In the sense that that would imply that really Bilbo has been a primary narrator to this point, and I don't really see that. The, my favorite 
sort of theory, my, my, my favorite reading as far as that stuff goes, is that the shift in tone, right? That difference in tone that everybody can tell in chapters one, two, and, you know, especially chapters one and three, right? The long expected party and the three has come with this talking fox and or the thinking fox, right? And everything else um, that that's Bilbo. Right. The, 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 the narrative voice that sounds like the Hobbit, the narrative voice, which is so different from the narrative voice of the rest of the Lord of the Rings, that's Bilbo. And Frodo is the more serious voice that sort of picks up and, 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 and you know, where, this, where the story shifts with, of course, some of Sam's additions. So it seems to me, if we think about it that way, which, again, I've always found the most attractive way to think about the, narr- the, the narrator's voices, um, it's been several chapters. I mean, it's really, I think it's less than halfway through book one when we really can see that transition by the time... Uh, I mean, really, by the time we get to Farmer Maggot, it seems that the Bilbo voice is pretty much gone, I think. Um, but um, but I do think... So, although I wouldn't place this as the moment where, like, Bilbo's narration ends and Frodo's begins, it is still, I think, a really important moment. Um, even if Frodo's been narrating to this point... I, I, I think that thinking about it in the context of Frodo writing the story, right, uh, is really um, uh, is really interesting, is really illuminating here, because we do uh, that he wants to bring it into contact with Bilbo's narrative, that he's thinking about Bilbo and Bilbo's contributions uh, to the narrative. Uh, what could be more natural than at the arrival in Rivendell, right? This is the moment, certainly. Leaving the the question of the narration aside and just thinking about the geography, right? Just thinking about their actual quests. Remember, Frodo set out from Bag End thinking about following Bilbo, right? Uh, You know, the sudden desire rises up in his heart to go chasing, uh, you know, to to follow in Bilbo's steps. And almost he could have, you know, run out without his hat, right? Or any pocket handkerchiefs. Um, we got that at the end of chapter two. We know that he does have this desire to follow Bilbo, and he has been following Bilbo mostly, right? Um, Bilbo actually seemed to take fewer side trips, right? He certainly didn't get to meet Tom Bombadil. But anyway, he's, you know, the Shire to Rivendell leg of the journey has been the same, right? When they leave from here, they're going to be parting ways, Right, Frodo's quest is going to go off in one direction, and Bilbo's in another direction entirely. So, um, this um, this idea, right? And and yeah, Matt, I think Matt's uh, uh, Matt's adding uh, to this as well, saying Sam mentions at the end that there are a lot of scattered notes about, and that he's guessing that this is where the notes uh, uh, run out. Yeah, I mean, Matt, one of the things that is very noticeable, right, is that there is still the presumption when they see Bilbo, right? Um, And I'm not talking about later. I mean now, right? At this moment in the story, when they are reunited with Bilbo, he's about to be reunited with Bilbo, there is still the presumption that Bilbo is going to be the author, right? Bilbo assumes it, right? He wants to listen to them and take notes. Everybody assumes that, right? Remember, of course, everyone is still assuming that. Uh, Everyone is still thinking that way, even after the field of Cormallon, 
right? Where at the field of Cormallon, when uh, Pippin is reunited with Frodo and Sam, um, Pippin makes that comment. We just were reading this uh, passage last night, originally given to Frodo, changed to Pippin uh, in the drafts in in the Arsauron defeated class last Wednesday night. Um, the comment about how Frodo's going to have to be locked all in, up in a tower uh, in Minas Tirith right away so that he can make notes and write it all down or else he's going to forget it all and Bilbo's going to be dreadfully disappointed, right? There's that sense of, like, Frodo is still just... He's got to keep notes so that he can deliver them to Bilbo so that Bilbo can can write it all up, right? And Mad Violinist, you're absolutely right, noticing that that, that assumption is going to carry forward at least to Carothros, right? But... Um, but in any case, we certainly get the concept of Bilbo as narrator, and even I think the the acting so so mad imagining like what's going on here in Rivendell, right? Uh, and thinking back to these chapters where we can see that tonal shift, I'm certainly willing to believe that what's been happening has been Frodo putting things in order, right? Bilbo may have tried. To write out, right? So when he gives Bill, or Frodo his notes uh, the next time, right? When, when Frodo is coming back home through Rivendell, there probably are notes uh, where he's tried to write their story for this, this first part. He's tried to write the book one story because he heard all about that from Frodo and he's had a, quite a while, right, to work on writing book one. But he's not really done, right? And Sam is looking at these notes and saying, I don't think he's ever going to write our story. Now he's certainly not going to write the rest. He's certainly not going to be able to write books two through six. Um, but it seems like he's not even really finished book one. Uh, I, of course, I'm saying what is published book one, right? Which would explain why uh, then the tone changes, right? Because Frodo has to go back and rework it all, right? Or at least most of it. And it would make sense that the part that is most complete would be the earliest part, right? Chapter one, the most complete in Bilbo's voice, I mean, right? Would be the part describing his party, right? The part which even Matt, as you point out, is from his point of view. That's, I think, one of the really uh, important points that you make there, Matt. And I think you're absolutely right to say the way that we get... um, the recitation of the Arendel poem, which we could get to any month now, um, when we get that, that is so definitively in Frodo's point of view, right? That is, Frodo describes his experience of hearing the poem. There is no way that Bilbo would have framed that story that way had he written that bit, right? I agree with you. That seems like almost proof that Bilbo did not write many meanings, right? That this chapter is not composed by Bilbo or not even really based on notes written by Bilbo. But a lot of the earlier stuff could be. And again, if we think about it, right, where do we see that tonal shift? We see that the the old tone, the Hobbit tone, the Bilbo tone, most strongly in chapter one, right? Secondarily in chapter three, less so, some, but less so in chapter two, right? So again, we can kind of then construct uh, or reconstruct, right, what would have happened. Bilbo had notes all the way through the through part three. Like he, 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 he had done a lot of composition up through getting them to Buckland, 
right, or towards Buckland. And then things kind of petered off and he only had sort of gathered notes and things. Frodo had to put more in at that point. Frodo goes back and puts more into chapter two. He, he, he does a little bit more justice to the detailed conversation between himself and Gandalf, right, at Bag End. Um, and then, of course, he ends up, re- uh, you know, reworking a lot of the stuff. So even though he's working on uh, he's working on off of Bilbo's notes there, the notes that Bilbo made from Frodo's uh, 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 words, right, from Frodo's telling him the story in Rivendell, that all makes sense to me. So in that sense, Matt, if we think about that as from here on out, right, from from chapter one of book two onwards, Bilbo didn't have any contribution to this. Right. Because Bilbo, by the time Bilbo like heard about this, I mean, of course, he was there during this during, you know, for most of chapter. Well, no, all of chapter one and chapter two. He's there. But again, I agree with you, Matt. The internal evidence suggests Bilbo had nothing to do with the writing of these chapters. And, you know, by the time they get back, he certainly hasn't gotten he hasn't gotten that far. Right. Um, so in that sense. Matt, I can see what you mean when you say from here on, the book is entirely Frodo's composition. Bilbo has had no contribution in it at all. Right. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, And so, therefore, I agree with you that it's interesting that we have this direct quote. Again, this sort of touching base with Bilbo's own work, Bilbo's original work. And it also, as I say, suggests that parallel between their two quests, the quest uh, the quest of Bilbo and the quest of Frodo. We talked in chapter two about how, you know, Frodo himself could see that, yes, he's following in Bilbo's footsteps. Yes, he's, um, you know, he's, uh, you know, heading off and, and um, uh, you know, going on a quest and even by way of Rivendell. We saw that from the very beginning, he had the sense that his his journey was not going to be like Bilbo's journey, right? It was not going to be any there and back again journey. He was going on a one-way trip so far as he could see. Um, and originally, he thought he was just going off into exile and to wander for the rest of his life. Uh, increasingly, now he's going to begin to suspect that he's still going to be off wandering for the rest of his life. It's just that that won't be very long anymore, right? He's now headed on a, uh, a desperate and possibly suicidal journey into the Black Land, uh, which is likely to end his life quite soon rather than the lifetime of exile that he had been imagining. Anyway, point is, they're different, and this is where they diverge. Right. From now on, his journey is going to be different. And so, again, that touching base. But but Matt, I've been putting off coming to your wonderful, wonderful point in the second half of this. This is the part that really blew my mind. Um, Of course, the the thing that I was missing, Matt, was thinking about it from the point of view of 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 a returning home Frodo. Right. Not from the Frodo at this moment in the text. Right. Not from the Frodo at this stage of the story, but of the Frodo who is writing the text, right? Of the Frodo who has come back after the fact, and that he would refer to Rivendell as the last homely house east of the sea um, is absolutely delightful. Uh, that really puts uh, a, a whole new layer on that. Everything that we were saying last week about what that means and what that does to the terms last homely house, right? What that does to the word last, what that does to the word homely, right? Thinking about it as really sort of the last sort of pseudo Valinorian refuge of, of, uh, of the elves here uh, in Middle-earth. 
is uh, is is uh, all still applicable, all still wonderful, but it's even more poignant now to imagine the wounded Frodo who knows he's wounded, right? He now knows by the time he gets to Rivendell, he knows full well um, that he's never going to be fully healed. It's it's not going to be okay, right? Does he have um, uh, does he have an inkling? Right? Does he have an inkling that the only healing he could find would be west of the sea? Right? Um, and that this is... So yeah, that idea of it not only being last chronologically, but last geographically in this new way, right? As Frodo is returning back towards the west. Uh, you know, it used to be the last homely house on the way east, right? From the land of civilization on the edge of the wild, right? And then you leave homely houses behind entirely and go off into the wild. Um, now, whereas when Bilbo comes back the other way, right, towards the west, heading back again uh, at the end of The Hobbit, it's the first homely house now, right? But when Frodo returns home, it's now the last homely house, right? This is the last homely house that he will find. And exactly, Mike, as you say, it does me the, the sort of the unspoken thing there. Well, I mean, Matt spoke it, but the unspoken thing in the text there is that Bag End isn't going to be a homely house anymore. Even Bag End itself, the very heart of what it meant to be not wild, right? That, you know, that the, the, the heart of, of, of comfort and, uh, and, you know, reassurance and peace and happiness uh, in The Hobbit is no longer going to be a homely house. Rivendell is going to be the closest he can find to it. Um, uh, uh, east of the sea, right? Um, and I really, uh, I really like that. Um, yeah, so Mudmore, absolutely. We're thinking about it without considering future knowledge, absolutely, uh, which is why I didn't get here. But no, I think that that's, um, uh, that's, that, it is, I mean, Matt's right, this is a really interesting way to think about it, especially, again, when we're thinking in particular, as it's really hard to avoid in that moment with the direct quotation of The Hobbit, right? And the way in which we're getting that phrase, but that phrase recontextualized, as we were discussing last time, to again to be thinking more about what does that recontextualization mean, right? Um, and what does it mean to, so, you know, when Frodo is redoing this, right? Anyway, yeah, so that's all... Um, um, that's all cool. Yes, good. Trifle is recalling the conversation in many partings, right? When they come back through Rivendell on the way home and Sam says, there's something of everything here if you understand me. And Frodo responds, yes, Sam, something of everything except the sea. Um, so we do, in fact, have evidence that Frodo is actually longing um, for the sea, right? We, that That this is not it's it's it, it is not a completely out there thought to him at that at that point. Oh, Nahor, I like that. Thinking of Bag End as the heart of Hobbit on Earth. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> certainly from the from within the narrative framework of these stories, Bag End is absolutely the heart of Hobbitdom on Earth. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and Tony, of course, you're right. Frodo has never seen the sea, right? Um, which, nevertheless, he is already longing for. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. OK. Um, cool. And yes, 
Tarlanio, it is really interesting that the heart of Hobbitdom will have a Malorn tree at its center, like the heart of Elvendom did. Yes, that that way in which, um, and Tarlanio, it's one of the really poignant ways, right, in which you can see the Shire in general, Bag End in particular, Sam uh, in especial. Right as the the so one of the places to which the torch is passed, a lot is made. Right of Aragorn being the one who is going to be the keeper of the memory of the elder days, and you know the one who is going to who's it's part of his remit. Right as the uh, you know the the last king of the earlier uh, age. You know the, he's the transitional figure. Aragorn is into the, but Sam is too. Right. Um, this is also a major part of Sam's role, and this idea of the way and what you know what Sam does in order to keep the memory of the older world alive in the Shire, literally alive right through the trees. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, good. But <laughs> we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We're sort of indulging some discussions of the end of the return of the King, which is like going to be huge spoilers. Um, but it's okay. I comfort myself with <laughs> thinking that, <laughs> who knows <laughs> who knows how how many of us are going to live until the end of this series so we might as well talk about it some now um okay. <laughs> uh, you know i think we'll be fine we'll probably be okay um exactly by the time we get there we'll certainly all have forgotten it no question um okay cool um all right very good um yeah ambrosius Really, honestly, I agree. Um, well, first of all, I can't imagine a first-time reader, like if a, if someone who has never read Tolkien before is like listening along with us. First of all, I cannot possibly imagine anyone who would have the patience to read the Lord of the Rings through for the first time at this pace, right? I mean, it's really not designed for that. Um, you know, I always used to say I said in the in the preface of my. Uh, of my Hobbit book, right. That I had always imagined. I'd always, you know, wanted people to be reading like my book with the Hobbit in their other hand. Right. So they could be, they could, you know, sort of be reading along with, you know, read a chapter of the Hobbit and then go read it, my, you know, the chapter of my book and everything. That's, that's how I wanted people to be reading my book. I do not have similar aspirations for this, this discussion, right. That, uh, everybody will, uh, just read a couple sentences of the Lord of the Rings and then wait a week or, 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 but even if you're doing it asynchronously, right. To be like, read a couple sentences, then listen to two hours of discussion, then read a couple more sentences, then listen to two hours of discussion. Um, yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think that would work out well at all. Uh, really the way you should do it. If you're a first time, if you're a first time reader, Read it through. Just keep going. Don't wait for us, right? Keep going. We'll still be here. Then you can come back and 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 go through. And it would be, uh, it would be, it would be easy. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Um, very good. Okay. So um, let's move on. Let's bring in Sam. Okay. At that moment, there was a knock on the door, and Sam came in. He ran to Frodo and took his left hand, awkwardly and shyly. He stroked it gently, and then he blushed and turned hastily away. Hello, Sam, said Frodo. It's warm, said Sam, meaning your hand, Mr. Frodo. 
It has felt so cold through the long nights. But glory in trumpets, he cried, turning round again with shining eyes and dancing on the floor. It's fine to see you up and yourself again, sir. Gandalf asked me to come and see if you were ready to come down, and I thought he was joking. I am ready, said Frodo. Let's go and look for the rest of the party. I can take you to them, sir, said Sam. It's a big house, this, and very peculiar. Always a bit more to discover, and no knowing what you'll find round a corner. And elves, sir. Elves here and elves there. Some like kings, terrible and splendid, and some as merry as children. And the music and the singing. Not that I have had the time or heart for much listening since we got here, but I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place. I know what you have been doing, Sam, said Frodo, taking his arm. But you shall be merry tonight, and listen to your heart's content. Come on, guide me round the corners. Okay. Um. <laughs> the, um, round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate. Yes. Uh, I think it's the last time we've gotten the phrase round the corner. Um, yeah, that's great. Let's see. Um, interesting. Okay, let's see. I don't know how to say your Twitch handle there, but uh, is glory in trumpets theological or kingly language? Um, and he's thinking back to this, the discussion we had when Sam says, bless me. Okay, so glory in trumpets, I think I would go kingly there. Um I don't see that as theological, um, especially with the trumpets, I think. Um, glory in trumpets like he's, he's looking for a, he's looking for a, a, a fanfare, right? Um, yeah, Lalith says it doesn't sound like Hobbit language, exactly, um, Lalith, I suspect. I mean, I think that maybe you're right about his uh, his uh, education from Bilbo coming through. I think it does perhaps suggest something of at least of the kind of story that Sam likes to listen to, right? Um, does Ted Sandyman say "glory in trumpets" when he's really happy about something? I kind of doubt it, right? I kind of doubt it. Um, but I think that he would. But at the same time. So the the construction does sound to me hobbit-like, right? Uh, that is just to pair two nouns together like that as an exclamation, right? Um, it does sound to me. I mean, I I I definitely think that my suspicion is that this is Sam using a sort of a hobbit. A hobbitish turn of speech, right? The structure is the way that hobbits would talk. I think that Ted Sandyman might say something like this, but glory and trumpets are not the two words that he would pair, not what he would use, right? Um, I think that Sam's speaking of glory and trumpets is probably a reflection of his reading, right? Or rather of the stories that he most liked to hear, at least. Um, yeah, so... Um, 
Yeah, could it be that he's been listening to Bilbo's translation of the Aino Lindale? Maybe, maybe. I tend to think, though, that I... Um, the word glory is interesting. <laughs> Sorry, Tony, I'm thinking about through the looking glass now, right? I say the word, when I, as soon as I said the word glory is interesting, I'm thinking about Humpty Dumpty, right? There's glory for you. Um, uh, I'm not saying that that's what Sam's thinking of here. That might be one of the stories that he's liked. Uh, I think that Sam might quite like the walrus and the carpenter, uh, but I doubt it. Uh, I doubt that that's what he's referring to here. Um, uh, yeah. The reason I'm pausing here, the word glory. Somebody look it up. How many times does the word glory occur in the Lord of the Rings? Does it occur very often in the Silmarillion? I don't remember it. I don't think so. It strikes me as a... I'm not saying it's alien to Tolkien or alien to um, uh, to the Silmarillion in concept, but I don't remember the word used that often. Um... Sam uses it in book six in a similar situation. Yes, I was remembering that too. Glory and splendor. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, it's used 26 times in The Lord of the Rings. Okay. Three times in The Fellowship. Does anyone else say it? I would like to know how many times it's used in dialogue. How many times the narrator uses it. But only three times in The Fellowship. Right. Faramir does the warrior for his glory. Okay, right. In his in his uh, lecture, when Faramir's lecturing about Gondor and the history of the peoples. Right. Okay. And it's used 30 times in the Silmarillion, Puntine. Thanks for that. Okay. Right. Boromir's own glory therein. Right. Good. Good. Elrond says it twice, does he? The glory of the Elder Days. Okay. Good. 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 What's the other time? You see what I'm doing here? What I'm wanting to do is to build a context. When Sam says the word glory, what does he mean? Like, what's in his head, right? Okay, it's only used once in The Hobbit, right? The glory of Gondor. Interesting. So glory is often used to describe human things, right? Like the heights of human civilization. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, stars and glory, he says, and she observe. Right. It's a Sam word, right? He's going to use it several times, which is one of the reasons. Well, yeah, good. Chairman's just saying that too. Um, uh, yeah. But that's interesting to me that when it's used most of the rest of the time, it's mostly a word about humans or about human cultures. 
the kind of thing that, um, yeah, uh, Mad Violinist says, surely Eowyn must use it somewhere, even if she doesn't, she's kind of thinking of it, right? I mean, the kind of thing that when she is thinking about dying in, in, in glory, right? That's the kind of the, the way that the word is used in other ways, right? You know, what, Aemir, what Eowyn wants to do is die in glory, right? To achieve glory through a valorous death on the battlefield. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, this is what I want to... So I, I agree there are several people who are thinking about uh, glory and trumpets sounding kind of biblical, and I can totally see where you're coming from on that. But that's why I wanted to... Be, the, the, the key thing always to do, you always have to be careful with this. Whenever you're thinking about words, it's easy to associate from outside if there's something that you know you also read that uh, you can associate it with. But the, the thing first always to do is to try to build that vocabulary internally, right? How is the word and the concept used? Um, that Sam uses it as an, in an exclamation three different times. Great glory and splendor at the fields of Cormallon, stars and glory at Shelob's lair, and glory and trumpets here in Rivendell is interesting, right? Um, so it's used talking about Numenor, it's used talking about Gondor. It's used talking about sort of the praise and esteem of men, right? Like, you know, uh, Boromir's glory, uh, Faramir referring to uh, you know, uh, uh, Boromir seeking, um, uh, you know, what's best for Minas Tirith and his own glory therein. Um, yeah. I agree, Mad Violinist. It's really interesting to this. This connection is really interesting to me because the word seems to be associated throughout the rest of its uses um, in the Lord of the Rings. It seems to be associated with the greatness of human things, of human cultures, especially Gondor uh, and Numenor, and the things which kind of partake of that in some way. Um, but uh, but we don't get Sam's usage does seem to be um, Sharon, as you say, connected to his Sam's pleasure and awe of great and mythical things. Uh, and Mad Violinist was saying at the same time that it seems to partake much more of wonder than the other uses of that word. Absolutely. Um, and what's more, you one could imagine a kind of transference there, right? Uh, that somebody who was very, um, you know, caught up in the idea of the splendor of things like Gondor and Numenor, as who might, you know, as, as who wouldn't be, right? Um, getting, you know, sort of using that word, but using it in this much more, um, in this much more kind of reverent and, 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 and sort of mythic sense. But that's not Sam, Right. It's the elf things that Sam is really inspired by, right? Um, not the magnificence, good word, Belongsmond, of the of the things of men, right? So that's interesting, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, Jackie, I agree. It's as if Sam's saying it's a miracle. 
when he uses this phrase, right? Um, yes, like right here. But glory and trumpets. Um, it's fine to see you up and up and yourself again, sir. This is the beginning of his commenting as he's going to be throughout the rest of this passage here on what clearly to him, clearly from Sam's point of view, seems like a, a miraculous recovery on Frodo's part. He is very surprised at how suddenly and swiftly Frodo has recovered uh, from his condition, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so, um, how about trumpets? What would Sam associate trumpets with? Kings? Presumably? Fanfares? Probably? Um, Yeah, well, see, now, I, the horns of Buckland aren't trumpets, are they? I don't think so. Um, fear, fire, foes, awake, fire, foes, awake. That's like a hunting horn, right? Like an actual horn, not a bugle, not a trumpet, nothing brass, right? Um Yeah. Um, exactly. They'd be like ox horns or something, Tony. I agree. The horns that they're sounding in 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 Buckland. What would he associate with trumpets? When do we get trumpets? Do we ever see trumpets? In Gondor, right? We're going to get trumpets? Do we... Yeah. Yeah, Matt's thinking that there might be trumpets involved in the fall of Gilgalad, right? Somewhere... uh, you know, again, in like the triumphal entry of some king or other, that sounds likely. Um, interesting. Luke is recalling that there were horns uh, in the like musical horns in the crackers at Bilbo's party. Um, right. What kind of horns would those be? I'm really not sure what kind of horns those would be. Yeah, we do get it in the music of the Einar Bruinier, but I'm kind of resisting that. Well, not resisting it. I'm kind of, I, I was holding back from that one because, of course, that's, that's, it's Melkor's discord, right? It's Melkor's part of the music, which sounds like the braying of trumpets on one note. Um, okay, we, uh, we definitely get trumpets at Bilbo's birthday. Okay. All right. Yep. Noises of trumpets and horns. Yep. Yep. There you go. Good. Okay. Good. So we do have trumpets musically. 
Okay. Good. So, right. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So we know they have trumpets and play trumpets in the Shire. So it would be associated with merrymaking then, right? Yeah, merriment, as De La Mancha says, absolutely. Um, uh, yep, yep. So not just, not merely pump, you know, like kingly pump, right? Uh, like, you know, fanfares, uh, you know, announcing the entrance of a king or whatever. Um, um, is it a trumpet that Bilbo grabs and throw, blows three loud hoots on in order to call for silence? Tony, is that what you're recalling? That might be a trumpet, too. It's a horn. Okay. But again, I'm not sure whether or not in what sense the word horn. I feel pretty, I feel very confident that the horns of Buckland uh, are, uh, the, the horn cry of Buckland is, an, is like an ox's horn, is like a hunting horn. Um, because again, you can hear it. You can hear it in the, you can hear it in the words, right? Um, Fear, fire, foes, awake, fire, foes, awake. That's clearly a hunting horn call. Um, when they talk about horns at the party, it's a little bit less clear to me exactly what kind of horn those are, but whatever. Doesn't matter. Um, sorry, you can see I'm really interested in this because here, yet again, is another one of those things. I've always liked that phrase, glory and trumpets, but I've never thought about it. Um, I've never really thought about it clearly. Um, okay. Um, yes, good. There's, we will get horns at dramatic and sort of momentous moments later on. The Rohirrim will charge, uh, to, will sound trumpets when they charge. Fourth Aorlingas will get, um, um, I think there are horns as well, but I don't think they're all trumpets. I think there are horns, but we we will get some. We also get trumpets at the Black Gate. As somebody else was pointing out uh, there are trumpets. Uh, uh, Gimli will reference trumpets in his poem about about Moria, uh, and there are trumpets at Helm's Deep. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it looks like there are trumpets in all the major battles. Exactly, so that it would be associated with uh, solemn things as well. Um, yeah, interesting, Mad Violinist. I was also thinking about that. We will often get uh, uh, trumpets associated with the enemy. Um, yes. Yep. High and far, the clear ringing as of silver trumpets that uh, Pippin will hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I could easily believe, Amy, that the horn, like the horn that Bilbo grabs and blasts uh, at the party is neither a hunting horn nor a trumpet, but something something like a noisemaker, right? Uh, yes, that would make sense to me. But anyway, okay. Um, right, Tony, possibly even, I don't know if it would exactly be a kazoo, but something along those lines I could easily imagine. Um um, certainly it's, it, they, those are hoots, right? Wasn't somebody just, just saying that like the, the noise, the noun used to describe the, um, 
uh, to describe the uh, sound that he make that that it makes is 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 hoot. Um, no, not that hoot, Bruinier. Oh, the hoot. Oh, the hoot. How he trillips on his flute. Um, not the Tin Fang Warble hoot. Sorry, my favorite opening line of any Tolkien poem ever. Oh, the hoot. Oh, the hoot. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> um, okay. Glory and trumpets. The combination, therefore, of glory and trumpets... Um, What is he expressing here? I think the trumpet side of that expression, of this pairing from Sam, would be joy. Exactly, Tony. It would be joy. It would be merriment, happiness. But like, let's have a party, right? It, probably uh, the primary association with trumpets, given what we see about trumpets at Bilbo's party. Um, and then Glory. Right, but the glory comes first. Uh, not it's not trumpets and glory, right? It's glory and trumpets. Um, so if the first thing he says is is this um, word, which seems to be groping for the kind of wonder that he said, like it, he, a miracle has happened, right? Something glorious has just occurred. Glorious in a, you know, we might use the word glorious. Uh, right, or the word "glorious" is sometimes used to describe, like you know, that was a, a, a you know a glorious sunset or something right that like that. Right, he would be thinking of the word "glorious" in a really big sense. Right, glory, uh, the glory of that, like the, something has just happened, which itself this deserves to go down in a story. Right, this deserves to be sung in a song. Right, um, and then. But and trumpets, right? And trumpets, uh, merriment, right? And we get some of the pomp there, some memories of it, especially combined with glory. Um, it's hard not to think of glory if, if once we're thinking about glory in the sense of, um, you know, the the like connection with royalty and the opening of gates, Matt, as you say, and all these other things. Um, it's uh, you know, it it, it it definitely sort of sounds uh, sounds like that. But, um, but I, but it still has to retain. I, I mean, notice the way that he, 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 he dances, Sam dances, like he busts out dancing when he says that. Right. Um, and I gotta think that his dance is much more of a, the kind of dance like people would have danced on the tables at Bilbo's party. Uh, right than anything uh, more stately or formal than that. Um, so again, th- that certainly would seem to me to give the trumpets an air of uh, of uh, uh, Shire Party, right, rather than Royal Court. I would think. Um, exactly, more more Springle Ring uh, than Sarabande. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's not waltzing in place. Right. He's not, uh, you know, he's not doing any kind of. Yeah. No, this is uh, um, this is a uh, this is a jig that he is that he is dancing, I think, clearly Um, or a reel or something like that. Um, Okay. good. Glory and trumpets. But we've, of course, skipped 
the first paragraph, which is the grabbing of Fro- the, not the grabbing that makes it sound really rude, the taking of Frodo's hand. He took his left hand awkwardly and shyly. He stroked it gently, and then he blushed and turned hastily away. Hello, Sam, said Frodo. Um, yeah, oh, Molly, that is a perfect image. Uh, 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 Snoopy's, uh, Snoopy's happy dance from Peanuts. Yes, that is, a, that is, that is a, a, a perfect image for Sam's little dance here. I, that's, that's, that's spot on. Anyway, uh, uh, back to the, the taking of Frodo's hand. Um, Sam's stroking of Frodo's hand, right? Um, Forthalas asks, is Sam blushing because he's been overly familiar? Yeah, I think. Exactly. Mad Violinist says, uh, those of us who were around last week for the, I, I talked about this a lot last week and I, 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 I promised myself, Mad Violinist, I would not give the same long rant tonight that I gave last Wednesday. Uh, last Wednesday we were looking at the, uh, the first version of Sam's song in the Tower of Kirathungal, the first, uh, draft of that, which is quite different, which is a song of despair. Sam is in despair. It's not a song of hope. It's a song of despair. Um, he's preparing to die and wants only Frodo to hear his voice one more time before they both die. Um, it's remarkably, remarkably different. But one of the ways in which it's also different is it's also much more personally dedicated to Frodo. It's much more of a love song. Um, anyway, so um, uh, this spun me off on uh, this long semi-rant about uh, uh, about love and eros and my frustrations with the narrowness of people's discussions of love and how like you can't talk about Frodo and Sam, you know, Sam's love for Frodo, uh, without, you know, uh, calling it homoerotic, but whatever. I'm not going to do that whole rant again. Um, what I'm, uh, what I hear, what I want to focus on his blush, right? Why is he blushing? Is it because he's been too familiar? I don't exactly uh, yes and no. Um, why does he take his... Uh, notice his words, right? Sam's words are, it's warm, meaning your hand, Mr. Frodo. That is one element, I'm not saying the whole, but one element of him taking Frodo's hand and touching it, right? And stroking it is diagnostic, Right. He has been he is Frodo's servant and he is Frodo's friend. He's also been Frodo's nurse. Right. And so he is. Uh, again, boy, how far outside of the spirit of this passage does it make it sound to say that he is clinically interested in Frodo's hand? But this is part of it. Right. Um, he is like confirming this for himself. Right. This is all part of the experience that he's having, right? Sam knocks on the door and comes in. And what does he see? He sees Frodo standing there, right? Out of bed. And he is amazed, right? And he comes running over to him. And the first thing he does is take his hand and touch. So is this a spontaneous sign of affection? You know, just like, I, I am feeling such an upsurge uh, surge of affection for you that I want to hold your hand. No, because he doesn't grab his 
other hand, right? He grabs his wounded hand uh, and the first, and, and when he touches it, it's like he's confirming for himself. No, wait, he is better. Right. This isn't just Mr. Frodo inappropriately getting out of bed while he's still sick. Right. Wow. Look, his hand is warm. Right. So when I say that he has a clinical interest in it, I'm not trying to say it's a detached one in any way. Right. Um, He has been tending Frodo. He has been worrying about Frodo. Remember when Sam talks about the long nights. Right. When he talks about his experience um, tending Mr. Frodo. He's looking at the whole picture. Remember, Gandalf said it was only lately, right? Um, it was only very recently that the splinter was found and the splinter was melted, right? However exactly that came about, probably not through surgery. I increasingly think there was no surgery involved, as we discussed at the time. Um, in other words, if we think about this from Sam's point of view, right? The majority of the time, since Sam has come from the uh, from the Ford, Frodo's been on the brink of death or looking like he's not going to recover. Certainly his wounded arm uh, has been cold and lifeless the whole time. And he will know from constantly attending Frodo, he will know that Gandalf and, and Elrond both were stumped for a long time until finally the splinter was found and the splinter was melted, right? Since the finding and the melting of the splinter, Frodo's recovery has apparently been very rapid, right? So rapid that Sam can barely believe it, right? It, it, it's like a miracle, right? Um, uh, yeah, and I agree, Mad Violinist. I do suspect that Sam has been holding Frodo's hand. I can also imagine... I mean, when I imagine sitting at someone's bedside... Right. If that if like, you know, their arm was cold and dead, I would constantly feel like I wanted to warm up his hand. Right. So I'm sure he was probably has been holding his cold hand. uh, Right. Just to sort of keep it warm and to reassure him, like to do his own little uh, to do his own little part. Right. He can't do anything. He knows he can't do anything. There's no way that he can help Frodo. So what's he going to do? Right. You got to think he's got to like, I'll try to warm up. His hand, his hand is freezing cold, right? I'll try to warm up his hand. You've got to... I mean, I can't imagine... Um, I can't imagine Fro, or Sam not thinking thinking that, right? Um, yeah, Carita says, uh, you know, raise your hand if you've been at the bedside of someone recovering from illness or surgery and you know what it's like to try not to let on just how scared you were, right? Yes. So, I mean... That Sam, who has doubtless touched, uh, and not just touched, but doubtless, I have no doubt in my mind that he has been holding the cold, nearly lifeless hand of Frodo for days and days, right? As it looked like Frodo was slipping away and about to die. That's why I emphasize what I'm saying, what I'm, what I'm describing, cl- clinical is a terrible word for it, but... Um, the touch of Frodo's hand has no doubt been like the it's, it's almost itself like the symbol, not quite the right word, but um, Frodo's or Sam's whole contact with Frodo personally and with Frodo's illness. Right. Exactly. As Terrell O'Neill says, he has to see it with his own fingers. Right. So so what could be more natural? He comes in and holy cow, Frodo is standing up and dressed there in the room, 
Right. So what does he do? He runs over and he grabs the hand that he has been holding and, and immediately says it's warm. Right. Meaning your hand, Mr. Frodo. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, this this in the context, I am not at all. Again, please understand, I am not at all trying to diminish uh, the affection of Sam here at all. Um, but under the circumstances, given the wound, the particular wound that Frodo had, the particular course of the illness that he's been suffering, uh, and the role of Sam, and doubtless the kind of helpless, this, I say, yeah, I, doubtless, the helplessness that Sam has felt and experienced during this time. I mean, Gandalf talked about saying they had very little hope, right? He talked about him and Elrond being at their wit's end in how to handle—certainly, Sam uh, must have felt quite desperate and quite helpless, Karita, as you say, as many of us have felt. Uh, You know, a lot of us have been there, right, at somebody's bedside, wishing there was something that you can do, and there's absolutely nothing you can do other than sit there, right? And I do not doubt— um, uh, I do not doubt holding his hand, right? Um, so absolutely, uh, I think that this is this is why this is why this is to me such a beautiful moment here, right? Um, I get and I get really frustrated with people who see it as just like hand holding, like I'm gonna come up and hold the hand of my beloved, right? It's not. There's so much more to it than that. It's so much. It's a so much. It's such a such a powerful emotional moment for Sam and Sam's tears. Right, I love Sam's tears. Right, he's blushing because, of course, he's been holding Frodo's hand, but Frodo doesn't know he's been holding his hand. Right, because, you know, well, as we've point, as many people have observed on many occasions, hobbits are kind of English. Right, so, uh, you know. Outward expressions of affection are kind of... Remember, they they tend... We know that hobbits tend to uh, submerge their feelings in joking, right? So this kind of a totally un, um, uncloaked, right, uh, expression of affection is uncommon among hobbits. That seems fairly clear. Um, but under the circumstances, Sam can't even help himself, right? Um because he had Toronio, as you said, he has to feel it to believe it, right? He can't believe his eyes that Frodo uh, is standing there, right? Um, exactly, Mad Violinist. You know that uh, uh, his friends love Frodo because they tease him mercilessly. That's that's how it works, right? Um, and certainly, Tony, you are right. We get very little uh, in the way of uh, physical expressions of affection. Um, it's not very common. Um, uh, yeah. And uh, Jackie, I agree. Uh, real meaningful, affectionate, really, you know, friendships between men are, are not always well illustrated very rarely. I think actually, um, it's one of the, one of the things that I love about the depiction of, of Frodo and Sam, you know, they love each other. It is a it is a very deep uh, uh, kind of relationship that Frodo and Sam have and Sam's devotion. You know, this is one of the we have seen his determination 
right? We've seen his spying on Mr. Frodo for good reasons. We have seen his um, uh, expression of devotion to the elves, right? In in at Woodall, right? Um, you know that he, you know, we've seen his stepping forward to stand between Frodo and the Black Riders, right? In in Maggot's wagon, uh, you know, we've seen many things like that. Um, but uh, this is this is a, a, a really important glimpse, and we get it relatively infrequently um, of the, 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 the power of his, of his affections. Very good. Yeah. His suspicion of Strider. I think we can see it there too. Um, yeah, good, good. And Tony, you're right. Frodo's relationship with Sam is different from his relationship with Mary and Pippin. Um, different again, does he love them less? No, but he loves them differently. Um, it's a different, it, I agree. It is, it is very, it, it is very much a different relationship with them. Um, and, um, yeah. And Matt, that's a really good point. Sam does have a tendency to wear his heart on his sleeve a little more than most of the other hobbits in general. Right. Um, Matt says, if we think back to his encounter with Ted Sandiman, he's willing to be open about believing in giants and, and elves uh, in a setting where he's made fun of about it, right? You know, even breaking into his little, probably, poem, right? Sailing, sailing, they're sailing away and leaving us. Um, that's a kind of a vulnerable thing to say, or forgetful, right? He's either self-forgetful or willing to be vulnerable or some of both, right? Um and I think that we can sort of see that, uh, see that here. And Mad Violinist, you're absolutely right. Sam is Frodo's body servant, right? So that is, again, some people, uh, you know, when thinking about the, like, touching him, like, physical contact between them like this, it's not like physical contact is in Again, he's his body servant. You would help him on with his clothes and stuff, right? Um, you know, I mean, he would help him in his bath, presumably. He's his, he's his valet, right? Or uh, his valet. Sorry, we're English. Um, but um, uh, but anyway, so yeah, it just, it's not that any kind of physical contact would be inappropriate. But this, it's 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 affection, right? And you know, any kind of open expression of affection, unusual among you know, almost anybody, right? But not not with Sam. And I think that that's um, um, that's important. Jackie, I agree. He's not interested in how he's perceived. He's often not ashamed. He does blush here, right? And sometimes he seems to be kind of realize that he's, I mean, he kind of loses the argument with Ted Sandiman, or at least he loses the audience, right? He doesn't convince his audience uh, any more than the gaffer convinced his audience in a different context earlier on. Um, but, um, uh, but he doesn't, that's certain not, he's certainly not primarily focused on how other people, uh, uh, think of him. Um, and for Thoughtless, I agree. He is more emotional, than other hobbits. We do see his temper running away with him. Um, with Faramir, his tongue will wag uh, uh, more quickly than others. He's he, we, he generally more impulsive, certainly. Um, anyway. But the, not only the taking, but the stroking of his hand. Um, again, that I de- that's... It's the stroking of his hand more than anything else that for me, is the key to understanding the, again, I'll stop saying clinical, the sort of nursely um, uh, element of this taking of his hand, right? He's not just like 
I'm gonna I'm 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 coming up and petting you, right? Or like that that's not a gesture like a lover would make, even, right? You know, you come up to your but you're gonna take and like take her hand and pet it, right? I mean like that's what you do when you enter a room. Like that's weird. Even for lovers, that's weird. But it's not it wouldn't be weird for a nurse, right? When you've been sitting at someone's bedside and your primary point of contact with them has been their deathly cold hand, um, absolutely for you to uh for you to to you know as we've been saying confirm with your own touch that he really is better um it's um uh it's but yes mad violinist you're right the word stroked is also very tender right there's clearly tenderness and affection but again not just affection when i say not just affection i mean it's not like that's not like a like a normal expression of affection Gently stroking is like you would do to a sick person, right? Like comforting him. I don't doubt that he has been gently stroking Frodo's uh, deathly cold hand for weeks at Rivendell, right? Um, Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Um, Exactly. Tony says a parent might do that for a sick child. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And JJ, I agree. It shows his focus is specifically on Frodo's hand. So we do see tenderness um, uh, and, a, and, a, and a very, again, a very special kind of tenderness. And when I say special, again, it's it's to me not like, and again, this is it's one of the things, as I say, that annoys me when people see affection and they're immediately thinking about eroticism. This that does not strike me as very erotic at all. Um, it's m- Tony much more like to me. It's much more like the gesture of a parent than it is like the gesture of a lover. Uh, sexually speaking, um, it just does not fit that well. But it does fit the kind of care, the kind of uh, which you know a very um, uh, uh, that that combination of quasi-parental affection or, or, or fraternal affection, right? You would, I mean, if your sibling was sick, it would be, you know, it'd be a similar kind of way. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, exactly like stroking the forehead of a sick person, which is exactly what we will also see Sam doing in Mordor, as somebody was recalling uh, there. He will stroke Frodo's forehead in Mordor. Uh, while Frodo's unconscious, right? We will see him briefly, not exactly nursing, but almost nursing Frodo, right? Um, yeah, yeah, good. Rinru says a non-professional taking care of a sick person might certainly stroke the hand of, the, of a sick person. And I would add, especially if the arm in question is where the injury site is and there's nothing else you can do about it, right? Um, absolutely. Okay, good. So... One thing that I would um, point out about Frodo's response, when Frodo says, hello, Sam, um, Sam is holding his hand, (laughs) right? Is holding and stroking his hand at the time. Frodo's non-response to that is, uh, um, I think, really interesting, right? Um, There is no indicator here that Frodo is feels awkward or uneasy about that right um it is a little funny tony the 
what's funny to me is the kind of juxtaposition, right? That is, Sam comes in expecting to find an invalid and instead finds Frodo on his feet and fully dressed, right? And he comes over and he checks his hand. And Frodo's sort of casual, hello, Sam, um, as if it were an average day, right? And Sam were coming in to, you know, uh, tell him that the bath water's hot or, you know, that his, uh, uh, you know, uh, his, his breakfast is ready in the, in the parlor, right? Um, seems to me Frodo sort of showing Sam like, yeah, no, like things are good, right? No problem. Um, but, um, but yeah, that it's, that seems to me sort of decidedly casual, right? The, uh, um, his Frodo's greeting, of Sam. Um, and I can't, I cannot imagine that Frodo misunderstands at all why Sam is doing what he's doing, why Sam is grabbing and stroking his hand, right? Remember, Frodo has himself been very conscious of that arm, right? Uh, how it's almost as much use as it was and his, his arm feels almost totally normal, right? Again, this is not a random hand that Sam is grabbing, right? Um, I think he knows full well why, as he then, of course, goes on to say, um, I know what you have been doing, Sam. Right. He knows that's and I got to think he knows Sam well enough to imagine that Sam has been holding his hand while he has been unconscious for days and days. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, and Amathorn, it is really interesting that Frodo doesn't tease Sam. But come to think of it, he doesn't usually. Does Frodo ever express his affection to Sam by teasing him and giving him a hard time? I'm trying to remember an example. With Merry and Pippin all the time, right? The three of them. Um... The three of them do that a lot. But Frodo to Sam? Um, it's unusual. And even when it happens, um, I'm sure you've given me all the heaviest stuff. But that's self-deprecating, even. Uh, I'm not, he, he's sometimes a little playful with Sam, but I still don't see that same tone. And I think it's because they're not equals, right? Frodo and Merry and Pippin are not only relatives... And Sam is not related. Um, you know, they're not only like sort of vaguely cousins, um, but they're also social equals, right? And I don't think, um, uh, yeah, we will get to the incident of the rope and climbing down the cliff. And as I said, he'll be playful with Sam sometimes, but even there, I don't think we get him treating Sam the way that he would treat Mary or Pippin, exactly. 
But anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, Hawkwind, his becoming, Sam's becoming a wizard or a warrior is teasing Sam. But again, notice there the difference in tone, right? Um, the difference in tone between that and, say, like Mary's comment uh, uh, to, uh, to Frodo when Lobelia calls him, says he's, he's no Baggins, he's a brandy buck, and he turns to Mary and says, that was an insult, if you like. And Mary says, uh, it, it was a compliment, and therefore, of course, not true, right? That tone. I don't, I don't recall him ever really using that kind of tone to Sam. Um, again, playful. Hawkman, I agree, there's a, it's something a little bit teasing, but yeah, Tony, I agree. The teasing is going in the opposite direction. He's teasing by building Sam up, not by tearing him down in the way that the others will generally tease them. Um, uh, I mean, again, thinking even like when Gimli and Legolas get in on the spirit of things, right? Thinking of Gimli's comment uh, in the Flotsam and Jetsam uh, uh, chapter, right? When they meet Merry and Pippin again, uh, you know, well-earned. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe that, right? That, 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 that kind of teasing, um, the, you know, the um, uh, the in, the jesting insults. I can't think of any examples where he does a jesting insult to Sam. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, good. Good, Belongs Bond is remembering in the conspiracy unmasked his threatening to kick Sam hard, uh, uh, saying that he, he, he won't believe uh, that he's sleeping again, whether he snores or not, and he'll kick him hard to make sure. Um, that's playful. That's playful. Um, I, I would still different, but that's good. That's the closest I can think of, or closer than anything I was thinking of, I should say, uh, to that kind of tone. Um, yeah, but Boomful, you're right. I mean, it's 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 different. He is he is Sam's Sam is his employee, right? Sam is his servant. Um, he's um, he's not um, he's not going to insult him in that way. It would be, it would be, it would be rude. You insult your equals. You might even insult your betters, but you're not going to insult, uh, those who are below you, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, in the, in the power dynamic and the class dynamic there. Um, anyway, so that was on hello. Hello, Sam. I love Sam's tears, right? Glory, you know, it has felt so cold through the long nights, he says, um, again, as a kind of explanation of um, why he was stroking uh, Frodo's hand, right? But glory and trumpets, he cried, turning round again with shining eyes and dancing on the floor. Um, now, you're right, Tony. Sam does cry at a drop of a hat, speaking of, you know, his... Uh, openly sharing his emotions, but I love the, 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 the tear filled eyes of Sam here, the shining of, of, of Sam's tear filled eyes, which is certainly how I understand the shining in this context. Um, the shining of Sam's tear filled eyes, um, are such a delightful illustration of this, 
They both capture the tears that he has no doubt shed very frequently during Frodo's illness when it looked like Frodo was going to die um, or worse. And of course, his tears of joy, right? Um, this, these are both like the remembered tears of his suffering, but also, um, uh, but also his, um, his, his tears of joy to see him returning. It's like his eyes are, his eyes are shining in that moment of transition, right? Between sorrow and joy at the, uh, the sun. I mean, what Sam has just experienced a catastrophe. Right. This sudden, unexpected turn when he's walked in the room and there is Frodo. Um, Think about that moment so much more dramatically. And again, we just talked about this moment last Wednesday when we were looking at the earlier drafts. When he turns after the destruction of the ring in the middle of the eruption of Mount Doom and the apparent end of the world. um, And there's Frodo. Right. Once again, the old master of the Shire and his tears of joy upon seeing him. Right. It's almost like there's there's a sense in which this moment gently, subtly prefigures that. Right. When he suddenly returns and there's the old master, right, whom he was afraid was declining indefinitely. You've got to think, remember Sam's reluctance or unwillingness to believe that Strider was legit even after everybody else was convinced. I bet you that when Elrond and Gandalf told Sam, and who knows what exactly they told him, but when they told Sam that they had found the splinter and melted it and that he would be fine now, I bet you Sam was going to wait to see it for himself, right? I bet you Sam didn't stop worrying right away as soon as Gandalf and Elrond told him, oh, yeah, no, he's going to turn the corner now, right? I bet you Sam took the liberty of continuing continuing to worry about Frodo. And then here he is, right? Like the master. And remember Frodo's own realization when he sees himself in the mirror, that he looks much more like uh, the younger version of himself that used to go, you know, tramping with Bilbo in the Shire. He comes in and there's this vision of Frodo looking, you know, healthy. Also, a little glorious, a little magnificent in his elvish clothes, Right, his brand new clothes uh, made for him by the elves of Rivendell. Um, so he's probably looking not only not dead, right, not only healthier, but healed, healthy, in magnificent raiment, and uh, uh, and um, and and looking twice the Hobbit that he used to. Right, um, he looks. No, he's not only healed; he's like better than before. Right, um, and uh, that's. That I think is is really um, uh, is actually trying to imagine what this looks like from Sam's point of view. The full you catastrophic force. You've got to think this is the moment. This is the first moment when Sam is really letting himself believe that Frodo's actually better. That Frodo's not going to die. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, Matt says he's been resisting, trying to resist the image of, uh, of Jesus and doubting Thomas, uh, with the fingers in the prints of the, uh, in the prints of the nails and stuff in his hands. Um, uh, and, and my response to the catastrophe is making it increasingly difficult to do so. I know, I know. Um, I don't think that that's totally inappropriate. 
Um, I think that there are definitely some similarities. Is Tolkien trying to recall that? Um, I mean, I don't know if he has that in mind. There are definitely some parallels, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I definitely don't find it an inappropriate um, uh, parallel there. Um, Cecilia, I'm not... So, the tears. Cecilia was asking about, you know, why... Um, why I believe it's 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 tears and ra rather than simply like his eyes are shining like with joy. Um, I think it's possible to read that as simply like uh, metaphorical, right? His eyes are sh metaphorically shining in the sense of being full of joy as he's dancing on the floor, right? Um, I have to admit the number one thing that makes me think that that's tears. Um, the number one thing is that it's Sam, right? And as Tony says, Sam cries at the drop of a hat, right? There's, if, if there is one person in the Lord of the Rings quicker to shed tears than Sam Gamgee, I don't know who it is, right? Um, so that's one thing. I mean, part of when <laughs> Nienna, right, I guess is the only other candidate, right? Um, uh, but of course, Bricktails, that connection is 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 a lovely one, right? I'm totally cool with putting Sam in the in the category with Nienna here. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. I, so part of the part of the reason I believe Cecilia that I'm thinking that is knowing Sam. I literally cannot imagine Sam having this moment and not crying. Like we see him cry when he's sad. We see him cry when he's joyful. Right. I mean, his tears at the field of Cormel and, uh, you know, Tony, I think you were talking about this is, you know, I mean, a huge moment, right. A wonderful moment. Um, I, I, I cannot imagine him seeing Frodo out of the bed for the first time and not tearing up. Like I, I, I just doesn't fit with the rest of the descriptions of Sam. Um, similarly, his, um, his turning hastily away, his blushing and turning hastily away. Um, I don't necessarily think that he's blushing because he feels like he's been, in, you know, inappropriate. I think he's turning away because he's crying. And again, he he feels like going up and grabbing and stroking Frodo's hand. He can get away with, but like bursting into tears in front of Frodo is one step too many in the like acceptable expression of emotion between, uh, you know, between fairly British hobbits here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now I agree. Mad Violinist points out that Tolkien, um, Tolkien is usually not shy about mentioning Sam's, uh, tears. So the fact that he doesn't actually, mention his weeping or his, does you know, weeping, crying, tears, none of those words appear other than cries, but that's not, of course, what it means there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so why would this one be different when he's so open with his emotion in, in other scenes? Let me see if I can explain that. Hmm. Because 
what I want to, what I'm, what I'm trying to think through here is because, um, because he, it's because of the one sidedness of this, right? His grief over Frodo's apparent decline, right? About Frodo's apparently imminent and inescapable death for quite some time here. His dread lest he not actually recover. His, um, uh, you know, wonder and joy, you catastrophic joy upon seeing Frodo is very, again, very one-sided. This isn't something he's shared with Frodo. When, like in the field of Cormallon, even after the destruction of the ring, Sam is much more open. He doesn't blush, right? He doesn't blush when he's expressing emotion very clearly and trying to comfort poor Frodo's hand when he's just had his finger bitten off, right, in The Return of the King. He doesn't blush there, right? But again, there, like, he's talking about it an experience the two of them has just have just shared. Um, I think that um, here, his very care for Frodo would make him want to conceal it. Like he, Frodo doesn't need to. None. It's not just because he's shy and doesn't want to express his feelings. Again, Sam not usually shy about that, but the joy. Karita, I'm going back to what you said before. Right. The one of the things about sitting at someone else's bedside when they have been very, very ill or recovering from surgery or something like that, you don't really want them to know how you suffered then. Right. You want to focus on them being better. You want to celebrate them. So when they're starting to get better, the last thing you want to do is be going on and on about like, I was so worried. I was so worried. Let me tell you about my suffering over the last few weeks. Right. Sam doesn't want to go there. That seems to me a bit, does that make sense? Again, I don't think it's just, I I don't want to, I don't want to let on about how I feel. Cause again, Sam, when does he not want to let on about how he's not usually guarded about how he feels. Um, but I think that he doesn't want to, it's not about him in this way. He doesn't want to share his grief with Frodo. He just wants, so he turns away his tears, which I do think he's at least threatening to shed. And instead turns around only when there are no tears on his face, but still only, and his his eyes are still shining uh, from the recently shed or unshed tears. uh, And is, and he shares his dancing on the floor instead. It's fine to see you up in yourself again, sir. Right? That's what he wants to... That's where he wants to be. Right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm... Okay. Corey Schwab just had a really cool instance of shining eyes. Rosie's eyes shining when she smiles at Sam. That's really interesting. Um, that's really interesting. 
Any other examples of eyes shining in the Lord of the Rings? I don't think there are any in the Silmarillion. Be surprised if there are. Um, it's not the kind of detail you usually get in the Silmarillion. Um, any other examples in the Lord of the Rings of eyes shining? Non-Gollum category. <laughs> I don't mean actually luminescent eyes, right? Uh, non so non-Gollum uh, uh, category, shining eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Not the eyes of spiders uh, in the dark around the fire in Mirkwood either. Yeah, no, th those shining eyes also don't count. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell me if, if, if you find any, any more. Anyway. If we want to say Sam's not crying, I'm willing to listen to arguments that he's not crying. And, and Corey, I'm certainly interested to uh, hear arguments that, like, it, it's, it, it is not merely a reference to the fact that there are probably tears standing in his eyes. Um, we do get the bright eyes of elves, Nahor, yes. Yeah, that's important. Not sure it's exactly the same thing, but... Um, wait, Quickbeam's eyes are shining? Also not sure that's the same thing. I want the word, though. I, I totally accept Rosie's eyes as parallel. There. I'm not saying what she's thinking is exactly the same, but the, the, that seems to me a really tight parallel. Whereas light emerging from eyes is a favorite thing, right? I mean, Tolkien loves luminous eyes, not just with Gollum, right? Um, but actual radiance emerging from eyes is a Tolkien standby. Um, okay, so who's, whose eyes are shining and in what context, Pontine, in the house of Tom Bombadil? I want to see that one. Good, JJ was thinking of Tom Bombadil there, too. Ah, okay. So when Frodo puts on the ring, Tom glances towards him with a most seeing look in his shining eyes. Um, no. I don't know. I don't think that's shining in the same sense. I suspect... Um... Yeah. Ah, okay. Good. Tree, uh, quick beam, I will accept that. Brigalod, his eyes shining, swung into line besides Treebeard. The shine in Quickbeam's eyes as he hears the song of the roused Ents marching to war, which is what he's been waiting for. That I will accept as a parallel, shining in the same way. Bombadil, I'm not sure I believe that. Um, I think it's... I think it's more... Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Luke is pointing out that Boromir's eyes are shining in his face, eager when he's uh, uh, about to take the ring from Frodo. Then you will come to Minas Tirith? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bonk's Bond, exactly. I think Bombadil's eyes are shining like the shining light, or, or uh, yes, yes, exactly like the... Um, it is like the, the, the... Especially when he is seeing Frodo while Frodo is invisible. Yeah. The principle, it seems to me here, 
I will accept it as a parallel to the way in which Sam's eyes are shining here if it is an expression of emotion. If there is a kind of joy that is being expressed through the shining eyes, right? Otherwise, again, eyes shine. Eyes just shine. And I'm not saying that's not meaningful. That's super meaningful and and, and important, but I think in a different way. Um, Rosie's eyes shining, Sam's eyes shining, Bregolot, you know, Quickbeam's eyes shining in that moment. Those all seem to me a similar kind of shining. Um, Yeah. Boromir's would then seem to be a kind of twisting of that same thing. His eyes are shining too, but it's like a feverish shining, right? Um, yeah, I, I like that because it's like a perversion of this shining eyes that we see in other, in other contexts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and good, yeah, Tony is thinking that even Gollum's eyes shining are sort of like a perversion of that. Well, Gollum's eyes shining are like a perversion of that other kind of luminescent shining that we get from the eyes of people. I mean, like, think about the description, the attempt to describe the eyes of Treebeard that we get from, like, Pippin's point of view. Um, There's a light in Treebeard's eyes, right? So Treebeard's eyes shine, but luminously, right? There's there's not as an expression of emotion, right? Um... Yeah, good, good. Uh, Edith Aldora, when Eowyn hears about the Battle of Helm's Deep, then her eyes shone. Yeah, yeah, good. That's a parallel, too. That's a parallel, too. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, good. So, yeah, we have... Nahor, back to your comment from before. The bright-eyed elves. The um, elves with their bright eyes. Remember, Gollum complains about that. You know, the elves with bright eyes, the brightness of the eyes of elves. That's the other version. So like the, 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 when I'm talking about the two different kinds of shining, that's the, to me, like the classical, inst- the, the classic instance of that other more literal, more luminous shining, which is meaningful, but it means something else than this expression of emotion through the eyes, this expression of desire. Uh, of different kinds, right? Uh, Bregolad's desire, you know, his uh, joy, joy and desire both seem to be connected right there, right? Joy, desire, mm, I was going to say wonder, but I'm not sure. Um, joy, I'll go as far as joy and desire, right? Um, passion, sure, yeah, yeah, of different kinds. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Eowyn thinking about the Battle of Helm's Deep, right? There's desire there, desire for that kind of glory, uh, joy at hearing about that glory that, you know, that the, she is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can see joy and desire, Brigalad, joy and desire, Rosie, joy and desire. Right. Uh, uh, and Sam here, joy and desire. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, OK, good. Oh, man, all these things we're talking about that I never planned on. Let's see. I love how much I, we discover together in this, in this, in this class. I'm just going to keep going slower and slower. Let's see. Um, yeah, Gandalf asked me to come and see if you were ready to come down, and I thought he was joking. I am ready. Let's go and look for the rest of the party. Um. Yeah, yeah. Um. Ah, uh, good. Matt points out the time when, um, at the field of Cormallon, when Frodo and Sam's eyes are shining with wonder. Um, yeah, sure. 
Sure, certainly there, I think. But that, I think, is sort of... Well, no. There's wonder... There's got to be wonder in in Rosie's eyes there, too, right? Um, there's got to be wonder there. With Bregolod and Eowyn... And certainly here with Sam. I can go with wonder. Wonder, desire, and joy. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> Crownless says, I know when uh, when Frodo says party, he means the group, but I really like the word choice. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, let us go find the rest of the party. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um Yeah. Well, we could say just strong emotion, but no, there's clearly there's clearly a a, a, a a thread, I think, that connects all of those all of those shining eyes when it's not just a that sort of elvish or perverted elvish brightness of the eyes, uh, but uh, but of the uh, uh, the shining of wonder and desire. And yeah, again, I could come back, Luke, to the uh, the wonderful point that you made about a Boromir's eyes. Right. Um, his his. Desire, certainly. Joy, as he's thinking that Frodo is about to say he's going to come to Minas Tirith, right? Um, uh, uh, wonder, even. at the uh, Yeah, that we can see all of those things kind of twisted uh, and perverted in this moment of feverish uh, excitement uh, from, uh, from Boromir. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, good. Okay. Uh, let's go and look for the rest of the party. I can take you to them. Um, and elves, sir. We finally get to elves, sir. And elves, sir. Elves here and elves there. Um, we get Sam's description of elves. Remember, he, he, this has been, this is Sam talking about the fulfillment of his childhood, his every childhood fantasy, right? I'll take Sam to see the elves. He'll be delighted. Uh, says, uh, Frodo to Gandalf, right? When they decide that Rivendell will be their destination. Um, and here's Sam expressing his delight, which not only he experiences, but he knows that Frodo was anticipating Sam's delight, right? Um, uh, <laughs> it's an elf cast, an, an, an elf catastrophe, is it? <laughs> Arden Crayon? Yeah, something like that. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, elves here and elves there. I really love that sentence. The simplicity of that. Um, Sam's... The way in which that sentence conveys not only Sam's wonder at encountering elves, right? He's already met them. He's already spoken with them. Um, but um, the idea that he's in a place where you just walk around the corner and there, there it is, right? There they are. Like, there's an elf, right? Oh my gosh, there's another one, right? Like I just, I just, I just went down to dinner and there are elves there, right? And oh my goodness. And, um, I mean, it's, um, uh, it's, you know, that, 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 that they're just all over the place. Um, he is, you know, the, he is, has been living in a house where just like every corner you go around, there's elves. Um, uh, exactly. 
Iwin Dillian says, it's like an elvish immersion experience. <laughs> exactly. Which is so far beyond. I mean, the encounter that he had with elves at Woodall, right, was like the fulfillment of his heart's desire, right? And now to be just on a casually casual daily basis. Um, um, <laughs> round the corner, there may wait a new elf or maybe eight, <laughs> says Mad Violinist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's... Um, um, yeah, it's really, um, it's really incredible. Um, and uh, Ambrosius Aurelianus, you know, what the one thing, and it's such a pale comparison, but the one thing that in my own experience I can compare it to is something uh, uh, a lot like that. Like when uh, my wife and I, who have been lifelong lovers of British literature, go to England, right? And are, are you know, are, are like in London, right? Taking a bus around London and we'll pass a street, right? That we know from Dickens or we, you know, or we're, you know, going through uh, Bath and we pass by, you know, somewhere uh, with a Jane Austen connection, right? And we're like, oh, look, like there we are. We're just on a bus and there's that street, right? I mean, it's, that, that, that there's something like that, you know, being sort of surrounded by these things that we've been thinking of and imagining all of our lives um, or what feels like all of our lives. But again, so much paler in comparison, I think, obviously, to this in, these encounters in this situation that um, um, that Sam finds himself in. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, Mad Violinist. Going to Myth Mood is kind of like that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, cool. Okay, so anyway, elves here and elves there. Some like kings, terrible and splendid, and some as merry as children. I remember um, uh, seeing um, uh, one of you commented earlier, uh, sort of wondering, is he describing two different categories of elves, or do the elves take shifts? Right. You know, like uh, um, it's it's my turn to be terrible and splendid today. And, and it's like, oh, and I, I, I'm in I'm I, I'm due for some merriment next week. Um, I am sure that some are like both, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, though, that he says some and some, though, um, we may remember in the future uh, when he's going to try to capture what it was like to meet Galadriel when he's talking to Faramir, um, he kind of does the both of them, right? She's kind of like this, but also simultaneously kind of like that. In a sense, he's doing that with like the elvish population of Rivendell on the whole, right? Um, in order to try to kind of capture what elves are really like now that he's met them and indeed has now been living among them for some time. Um, he goes both directions, right? But he does say some and some, as if there are different, uh, as as if there are different populations or different sort of um, uh, emphases there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, What I'm trying to think is if he's, if it's, so some are like kings, terrible and splendid. I mean, there are 
elf lords like Glorfindel in Rivendell, right? Who certainly are are like kings, who may even have been kings. Um, and again, I don't know how to say your name. Um, uh, could it be high elves and regular elves? Uh, it's it's possible. I, I'm, that's one of the things that I'm kind of wondering here. I mean, are the terrible and splendid ones, you know, uh, Noldor and the the merriest children ones are, you know, Moraquendi that are also living there? Um, I'm not really sure. But uh, Edith Aldora, that is precisely the line that I was just thinking of and about to refer to. Uh, Elrond is referred to as both. If you remember his description in The Hobbit, right? Noble and fair as an elf lord, as strong as a warrior, as wise as a wizard, as venerable as a king of dwarves, and as kind as Christmas in the first edition, changed to kind as summer uh, in the later edition uh, when Tolkien took was trying to take out some of the anachronisms uh, from The Hobbit. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but I still like kind as Christmas, I, I, perhaps because it alliterates. Uh, it's also cuter. Um, besides which, I think it's it's better. I mean, summer is kind, too, but Christmas seems kinder to me. Anyway, whatever. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, both Tony and JJ uh, are... The kindest Christmas line puts them in mind of Narnia. Yeah, and you know... That kind of makes me think on its own that, um, you know, maybe uh, Tolkien in being annoyed by uh, all of the bizarre hodgepodge that The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was, uh, you know, was perhaps uh, to a slight extent, if not somebody throwing stones in a glass house, at least somebody throwing stones uh, in a house with with some sort of largish picture windows, right? Um, but he was kind of closing those, right? Putting shutters up in front of those uh, as time went by um, and seemed to enjoy that kind of thing less and less as he went on in his life. Um, but uh, anyway, okay. All right. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, where was I? Mary's children, right? Okay. Um that pairing is interesting also, if you think about that, right? I mean, he uses two similes. So he, he uses descriptors. Um, oops, sorry. I keep timing out here. No, no, I don't want to quit. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Getting wrapped up in things. He uses two descriptors, right? The adjectives. We've got terrible and splendid versus merry, right? But he also uses two similes, like king's and Mary as children, right? Though notice that they're different. Uh, the kings are describing... Some of the elves are like kings, and the terrible and splendid is like an appositive. It's like, in what way were they like kings? They were like kings being terrible and splendid, right? Um, as children is used as a simile. He says, you know, some are like kings and some are like children. He doesn't say that. He says that some are like kings, you know, in that they were terrible and splendid. And some of them are as merry as children. So the as children simile is only in order to illustrate the merriment. What kind of merriment? Right? How merry were they? As merry as children. Not saying that they were childish or even necessarily childlike in every in every way. Um Yeah, yeah. Um 
And absolutely, Tony, I agree. The use of terrible and splendid is definitely in the older sense of both of those words. Uh, terrible. Full, like Inspiring terror. Splendid. Full of splendor. Right? Luminous and bright and full of glory. In a again in an older sense, in its glory in its literal sense, um, meaning radiant, right? Um, yeah, terrible and splendid, and merry as children. Some merry as children, and the music and the singing, and then he immediately qualifies. Not that I have had the time or the heart for much listening since we got here, right? He can't help but, um, yes, good, uh, Arden Crayon and uh, KZKN, you're right, but g- terrible is, Galadriel uses that word to describe what she would be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, beautiful and terrible is the dawn. That's it. Um, but we'll get there. Um, he's not had the time or the heart for much listening since they got here, but I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place, he says. Um, something just occurred to me. He says, I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place. And Frodo takes that literally. Um, guide me around the corners, he says. As if what Sam meant when he said, I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place, means I'm getting to, like, I'm more familiar with the floor plan now. I get lost less often. And of course, that's where Sam sort of begins. It's a big house, this, and very peculiar, always a bit more to discover and no knowing what you'll find round a corner, right? Um, he's, it's a, this is a house that's full of adventure. This is an adventurous house. If it's a homely house, it's a homely house in a very different way in which Bag End is homely, right? I mean, you'll never know when you'll find another wardrobe of clothes or another pantry around a corner in Bag End, but Remember, there aren't any twists and turns in Bag End. It's a tunnel that goes straight in and has rooms on either side. But, um, uh, anyway, so the homeliness here is of a different quality, certainly. Um, And I don't doubt that when he says, I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place, that he does, at least in part, mean physically. Like, I, I, again, I get lost less often than I used to do. And so Frodo is right to say, guide me around the corners. But I think that he means... um, uh, his, uh, yeah, Tony is, uh, recalling how Sam's geography has expanded, right? Uh, Mr. I know the land well within 20 miles of Hobbiton, uh, now is getting to know some of the ways of Rivendell right now. Now the house of Elrond half elven is familiar to him and he can, he can, he can, he can lead, he can guide other people around the house of Elrond half elven. Kind of amazing, right? To think about that. Elves, sir. Um, but again, uh, more, some of the ways of the place understood more abstractly, right? Especially after what he's just talking, been saying. Elves here and elves there, what the elves are like, what the elves do, right? And their music and singing. I'm getting to know some of the ways of the place. Like, how exactly, ways as in customs. The kinds of things you can expect. What you will see and hear if you walk around Rivendell, right? He's getting to, to be familiar with some of that. Um, 
So he's not had the heart for much listening. He's not been spending time listening to the elves sing as he would have wanted to do, but he's still heard them. Because, you know, you can't walk around corners in Rivendell without hearing the singing, right? Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, so Fourth Dauntless, I agree. That last line, guide me round the corners, does seem to be Frodo um, uh, kind of uh, referring back to Sam's earlier line. Right. Um, uh, kind of uh, joking, uh, 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 turning it back to the more literal getting to know the ways. Notice that Frodo also touches Sam, right? I mean, you know, far from touching being something that never happens, Frodo takes Sam's arm here. Right, you shall be married tonight and listen to your heart's content. Come on and guide me round the corners. Um, they walk arm in arm here. A thing, by the way, which happens on more than one occasion. Walking arm in arm, right? Um, that does not seem to me to be an unusual level of physical affection, based on what we see here. Um, I, I know what you have been doing. So he acknowledges. Sam, but again, remember, he is going to be sensitive to the fact what we were talking about before, that Sam is not going to want to, you know, bring Frodo into that. He's not going to want to talk about his own fears, his own suffering, his own um, grief uh, as he's been sitting at Frodo's bedside. Um, Frodo knows that Sam wants to put that behind him and focus on the glory and trumpets bit. Right. I know what you have been doing. So he acknowledges it and he acknowledges it accompanied with a touch, right? With a a, a gesture of physical affection, taking his arm, right? Linking the two of them together. Let us go walk together, right? Let us walk together arm in arm. But you shall be merry tonight and listen to your heart's content. Uh, I'm going to take you and accompany you out to something that's going to make you happy, right? To enable you to... uh, uh, to to enjoy yourself. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, come on and guide me around the corners, right? So still um, giving Sam the pleasure of uh, of serving, right? Of, 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 of leading him, but of course of of, uh, of guiding him. There's definitely gratitude there. Um, affection and gratitude um, the 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 really understated affection between the two of them and the way that it's acknowledged between the two of them i think is really uh is really subtle is really delightful um yeah good um okay it is getting late and we've come to the end of a slide so there we go um Oh, see, we did Frodo looking in the mirror last week. We did Frodo meeting Sam this week. Uh, we're going to, we'll do Frodo meeting Marion Pippin next week. There we go. Um, absolutely, Tony. He does want Sam to enjoy his time in Rivendell. This is Sam's dream. And now like he wants to be able to, he wants to enable Sam to be able to really focus on, you know, doing what he's not been letting himself do. Absolutely. Um, cool. Great. Excellent. Um, yeah. Oh, look at that. And you're right. We're leaving Frodo's bedroom. How about that? Right. That's it. We've been in, we've been inside Frodo's bedroom. Uh, you know, this guest room in Rivendell for 
you know, several months now. I think this is our 12th session on this chapter so far. Um, so, um, yeah, time for some more meetings and, uh, and possibly uh, uh, a uh, look outside, not through that one window. All right. Very good. So thanks, everybody, for our discussion here tonight. I'm going to say uh, good night to uh, the folks on Twitter and to the folks in the Talon there. Thank you for uh, thanks for joining me, both of you. And we'll also we'll keep going here on Twitch. Time for some more Archeo gaming. Uh, we have some uh, some some landscape to look at and some ruins to explore. So good night, Twitter folks and Talon folks. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. All right. Hey there, Lori. How are you? I am fine. Good. Coming. Okay. Yeah, let me... Okay. All right. So, let us head out to Kellendim. Back again. I've been uh, I've been really excited about this week's field trip because I'd never noticed that archaeological mystery before. We have an archaeological mystery to solve. Zay. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Valor, could you say something again? I'm, I'm not hearing you very clearly. Uh, testing. Oh, yeah, you're coming in and out, strangely. That is unusual with your mic, but... And I kind of suspect that you're speaking sometimes when I can't hear you at all. Oh, just got a little bit of you there. Heard several syllables. How's that any better? Ooh, yes. There we go. Okay, sounds good. Sorry, internet's been going in and out. We're going to get some thunderstorms. Ah, yep, no problem. No problem. Hooray, Good. hooray. Okay, yeah, that works. So some, something popped into my mind when we were talking about uh, Sam stroking Frodo's uh, hand, and you mentioned it might have been part of a nursing thing. That used to be a technique in old medicine. Yes. If somebody's uh, legs were going cold or if they had a fever somewhere, they would chafe the cold parts of the body right. to chafe draw their the hands, fever. Ch- chafe their wrists. They do that in Dracula, right? When, uh, whenever somebody comes upon, like when, 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 uh, uh, you know, Dr. Seward and Van Helsing discover Lucy, uh, yes. you know, and she's all cold, right? Because almost bloodless, right? And chafing her, chafing her, 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 her wrists. And even I think her ankles, at one point, they chafe her ankles too. Yeah, um, they do it physically and with, uh, I think, vinegar. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, of course, brandy yeah. usually in Dracula, but, but yeah, no, um, I agree. And the and also the the coldness of the limbs. You know, you think about the um, that famous description, though it's mostly comical. But still, you can you can you can hear the 
the sort of the lingering um, uh, 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 anatomical understanding behind it too. Uh, in Henry V, the description of Falstaff's deathbed, right? And oh, yes. Feeling that you know the the coldness descending all the way down to his feet, right? Um, That's right. Uh, anyway, so I mean that 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 coldness. I mean Sam has to know, has to believe in, in for in several reasons, right? That the coldness of Frodo's hand there is a very, very bad sign. And so, yeah, chafing the hand and trying to, uh, to, 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 he knows, again, he's helpless, right? He knows he can't do anything to help Frodo, but that would be the one thing that would kind of usually work, right? Or would do something. So yeah, no, I, yes. I, I totally agree with you. Um, okay. All right. Um, Let's go back up the hill to that tower. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we were looking at this tower. So we have all these elvish towers. We we're noticing how fond mm-hmm. the elves were here. Do we have any sense? I don't remember from talking to anybody. Any sense of the age of Kelendim? How long the elves have been here? Um, I don't know. Or That's a good question. Like exactly what it was for. I, I remember almost now one of the problems is... I've only ever had like one elvish character. <laughs> I've almost never played elves uh, in Lotro for whatever reason. I don't know why. Yes. Um, I've played a couple humans. I've played um, a couple. Goodness, were the trees this beautiful last week and I just missed it? No. Yes, I did because I turned off to this tower and the cliff <laughs> right away. So I totally yep. like didn't even see we had, this gorgeous avenue. We had to look at this lump avenue. stone wow. instead of the gorgeous exactly. cherry trees. Yikes. Oof. Yeah. That's amazing. Especially, no, I'm glad we got to see it this time because it really is just breathtaking at this time yeah. of night. Yeah. Yeah, it is really beautiful at this time of the night, the way it's kind mm-hmm. of lit up underneath with their lamps and everything. Um, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But as, as when we're talking about the flashback, but the old Elvish flashback that takes place with Elrond and, and uh, our mentor who's, you know, promptly killed spoilers, um, right. that right. takes place in the Elven settlement next to Thorns Hall, though, not here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the question would be, is the Elven architecture of that fallen place similar to the old architecture or the new architecture here? Great question. We'll have to go and look. Absolutely. We will have to check that. Right. Yes. That, that, that old city that was fallen. It's all coming mm-hmm. back to me now. Yeah. I think I have exactly one elf and one dwarf alt. So I've only <laughs> like done that twice. Um, I kind of have an elf problem. So. Oh you yeah. Know. Yeah. You have a sort of yeah. elf addiction in your alts there. I get that. I yeah, get that. Yeah. No, I've got several humans. Um, I've got a couple hobbits. I've got a Bjorning, but I have uh, only the one elf and the one dwarf. So. Yeah, my novels um, are just as bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, so this is the tower that we were curious about last week because we noticed all the towers, right? How characteristic the tower. So just to look back at some of the towers that we've seen. Well, no, like the tower across the river there is, of course, a perfect example. Yeah. Um, of these Kellendim towers, which are all over the place, which seem to be not watchtowers, especially look from the number of windows all the way up, right? These are recreational recreational slash residential towers. And then we've got this tower, which is almost totally windowless, right? Except I guess these maybe were windows that were bricked up possibly or something, Mm -hmm. but... We're um, speculating possibly a lighthouse or a beacon. Yeah, 
Maybe. And we've got the top of it down in the down in the in the water over here. And where is it? There is there. It Not is. much help there. Yeah. But still very, very few windows. Right. Um, so. And yet yeah, the filigree work, as we were noticing, does make it look elvish. So. We were trying yes. to figure out, so this is abandoned, clearly abandoned. It's not maintained, and it seems actually to be boarded up. Are there any doors? No. Door? Yeah, wait, here's a door. Oh, bricked is there? Up. A bricked up door. There it is. That's not a door. Oh, well, it oh. looks similar to the windows. But, I mean, it's not currently a door. But Yeah, it looks like a There's an entrance. There's an entrance. Yes, yeah. Obviously, there were like, that, was, that, was, that was clearly then. how you went in, right? So... But the rats were getting in, so they bricked it up. Or something. Now, yeah. interesting by itself that they bricked this place up instead of using it, and that they've neglected it, especially given we can see that they come here, right? I mean, we've got this path, which looks just like the paths in Rivendell, by the way, with the stones well and the worn, grass, yeah. right? Um, yes. And you've got these lamp posts, right? Presumably uh, lit every night, unless there's some sort of magic involved. Right. And you've got this gorgeous shrine up here, surrounded by these beautiful blossoming trees. <laughs> so this is this is not only a, 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 a place that the elves do clearly repair to, but they also... It's a beauty spot. And then right smack next to this beauty spot is this ruin. High store. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why would you brick it up and not take it down if you're going to, like, condemn it, right? Um, I don't know. You get the feeling elves are hoarders. It's definitely one of those. Might come in handy one day. You never <laughs> right. know. And, like, yeah, the dest- destroying an old thing certainly doesn't seem like a very elvish move, uh, right? goes against the water, I think. Yeah. Now, so, Druid's Fire, I, I do see your suggestion about, you know, that this could be some kind of ancient human tower, um, and that's what, so what I want to do, I want to, I want to, maybe I should get on horseback because we need to cover some ground here. Um, I want to ride oh, through, check out the least, through Calendale. I just want to, so I want to, I want to look around. Do we see anything else? So we've got all of this stuff, which is new era stuff, right? All of these things. So we've got the, uh, like the red tile roof going on. We've got the, the windows Leaded and windows, everything. Yeah. yeah. A lot of so, vaulting on the, on the doors. So without like thinking, you know, and analyzing every building, I just want to do a kind of survey of Kellen okay. and I'm going to run into boulders and I'm going to do a survey <laughs> of the town and the immediate vicinity. Do we see any other older towers, any towers that match that other one such that we can see was there? Did there, Oh, hang, uh, no, that's just a stone wall around a field that's fine i got excited there for a second saw some older looking plainer looking stone but these are just stone walls so yeah these are just for the to stop the rats getting in the fields right yeah so that's which, which wouldn't work but that's okay um yeah uh but still okay so we we got, we got the one now i mean interestingly this little so we're thinking they're yeah what, what is yeah. this like an elvish oh this is like a storage shed Right, little open to the <laughs> elements storage shed. Which this is a farmer person, yes. Uh, yeah. Novice yep. farmhand, right? Okay. Yeah, this is the farmer tutorial yeah. in a very hobbity-looking area. Yeah. All right, hang on. Across the river, we can see more clearly from here. Look down over yep. there. There's a gazebo. 
or something across the way. But that looks like a modern gazebo, kind of like the one we saw. That's from the housing area. That's in the housing area. Okay. Yep. Look at the tower in the distance. Right up in top of the hill, behind all the elvish stuff, there's a very plain-looking tower, which I don't know if it matches the old one. I think it might be a dwarf. Oh, it's one of those big towers we saw over the gatesways between here and uh, the Shire. Oh, is it? Okay. But we saw those big two tall towers, and we couldn't figure out why they were there or what their purpose was. Okay, right, right, right. I remember that now. Okay. Yeah, it's probably one of those. That's not the Ward Spire, is it? No, it's not the Ward Spire. Ward Spire is further up north. Yeah, north of here. It's closer to Gondaman. Because where we're looking, we're looking right across, right at the homesteads, right. So yeah, that's yeah. the that's the Elvish housing, uh, there. Okay. Um, you can see quite a bit of it, a lot more than I thought you'd be able to. Yeah. Okay, so we're not getting. I'm not seeing any other ruins, in or no. around Kellendim, and we're kind of at the outskirts, right? Is it worth skirting around? The, yeah. Were there any well, ruins more... up in that? In that? Yes, up this hill. Yeah, in this up hilly the area. Up here. Where's that? Like yeah. where you go start in the epic? Again, I've only done it once because I've only had one elf. But um, where you start with the epic quests up in that glade where the wolves are? Is that around here? Oh, around the corner. Uh, that's way. At the, it's all the way at the very edge of this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Field. That's that. That is that is this direction. We heading there. Sure. Uh, yeah. We heading there. We go into the ruins. Why not? Let's let's head up. Well, I don't think there actually were any buildings there. I think it nope, was just scattered just barrels. Natural. Yeah, it was barrels, I think. It was but, barrels. You know. Right. Well, we're almost there. We might as well look. Just okay. to make sure. You know, I could be wrong. You do take a lot of this stuff for granted. Well, exactly. Oh, okay. pretty trees, pretty trees. It is beautiful up here. Wait, new deed elf ruins exploration? For real? Well, okay. It says, it says it's ruins, so there must be ruins. If this is part of the elf ruins deed. Right, so I remember oh, I this camp. Yeah, here's the camp. Yeah. Right, and that's where they give you the quests, and then you'd go in here. But where's the... Where's uh, the ruins part? It certainly suggests that... There was a ruin. Yeah, all I see is... Yeah, logs... And rocks. Barrel stays. Yeah, there's Maybe a goblin. So, yeah, there's logging in here. Lots of yeah. wolves. I remember the wolves. You'll have to go north. Right, but yeah. if, why is this part there's of the nothing. Elf Ruins deed then, huh? I think it's just right next to it. That area was revamped uh, late last year by Scenario when he did a little, he added the walls and everything. Yeah, yeah. Here? I can see, yeah, the, the the people at the camp used to be next to trees, and they're not there anymore, and there's these beautiful mm-hmm. blossoms trees everywhere. The Hobbit walls down in Kellenden proper uh, were part of the revamp. Ah. The Hobbit walls. You mean around the fields? Yes. Okay. Ah. Right. Okay. But there Yeah, these guys used to be in a bunch of trees, and the trees are gone. walls so. up here, nor towers. Let's see no, I towers. think it's talking to... Then Helith is on the other side of those hills, though, so... Right. Okay. All right. Just wanted to confirm. So, okay. Right. 
Yeah, I and I'm almost positive <laughs> I have not been here. It was a long time ago. I mean, I'm pretty sure the what that one elf alt that I made um, was like my second alt ever. So I mean, it was that was a long time ago. In, was that the itself. high elf one we did at Myth? No, Mother? no, the high elf one was the was the I guess technically the second alt I've ever made, but that was of course a high elf, and so didn't right, so, didn't come. So we're going there. up this hill here, right? Right up on top there, right? Yeah, I see the ruins. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Vague memories of those ruins. Are there goblins in the ruins? A lot of sp- or are those down up further north? I think this the is the one that has rats and stuff. And the one with the rats, okay. And the wolves. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Rats and wolves, rats and wolves. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, yep, that tower is promising. That tower right there looks very similar. Let's see. Does it have a decapitated head? I bet it does. How do we get up? Can we go around this way? Where do we go? I think so. That's. I don't know. Terrain's changed quite a little bit. Go left or right. It doesn't matter. Okay, we can get around here. Good. All right. Yeah. Uh Aha. Okay, here's the head of that tower. And, oh, there's the filigree work. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but the head broke in half. But, yeah, no, that is it. Yeah, we got to look for those big towers with the the sort of yeah. bricked up mantelpiece looking things. Yeah, the stone is very similar. What do we get? Do yeah. we get the row of windows? No, but we get it attached to buildings. I think it's on the inside. I thought I saw. I thought I saw something similar. Seen. Maybe it was on the other. I think it was on the other towers and the other ruins where you have yeah, to there's anoint. No, there's no entrance. You're right, JJ. There's no entrance whatsoever to that tower. Oh, well, look at all the blue marble there. inlay. Uh-huh. That, there's blue marble inlay on the windows. It's very fancy. Okay, somebody remind me, what's the history of this place? Tom Galliar, where, where what is what was what was here? What was this? Do we Gosh. do we learn anything about this? We quest here, I know. I vague memories. Um, yeah, I'm so I don't know. It's like I, I used to know and now I just breeze through the dialogue box. Yeah. So it's somebody posted that was a that was a Tumblr thing they said when you breeze through the dialogue and forget exactly what your mission is and they got that quote from Pippin going right where are we going <laughs> right yeah yeah there is a bit of fallen tower uh, to your south uh huh to your right Corey yes there's the tower yeah clearly the same thing Ooh, we can see inside the tower which will doubtless just be a ring of grass it does yeah, yeah it does look like it's a same design but it was very successfully blasted apart. I love the detail on this. With the bricks falling out of place. Yes. If they used a wood grain on part of it. If you can go around and jump up on the side, uh, you can actually jump up on it. Wood grain? It looks like a wood grain. Like the rings of a tree. Um, it looks a little like broken stone. Little. You can see, the, the, yeah, the long bits are where it's just, uh, it's being mapped on the wrong side of the boolean, honestly. Okay, hang on a second. JJ okay, says yep. there's uh, the collapsed piece has a bit of bricked-in window. Oh, and here? Bit of bricked-in window? Yeah. Yes. You can actually jump up on it uh, if you go down, trying to follow where you are. Uh-huh. There's a oh, bunch yep, of those yep. actually standing on it. Yeah, oh, I, I see, see the right. butt, yeah. I see the bricked-in window right here. So is that the graining that you're talking about there? Yeah. The the 
the what we were calling the filigree around this this planar tower. Oh, oh you're actually standing on a bricked-in window. Yes. yes, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, there. Uh, I okay. was looking at the one on the on the collapsed tower over there. So. Yeah, excellent. So uh, Pontine has very helpfully uh, given us the deed text. Um, Thank you. It says, in the days when Tom Galire stood a, stood whole, it was a place of celebration and ceremony for the elves of Arid Luin. Uh, now it is a huh. wretched ruin, a shattered memory of better days. Um, okay. So it doesn't say what happened to it. No. Just that it, it mm. once was nice and now it is not. A place of celebration. Okay. They had a party tree. So... So I have to imagine then, now that we've, I think, proven that the tower, our headless tower down by the cliff there, uh-huh. is an old tower from the era yes. when this was built, right? Because yes. it's clearly the same as these ruined towers up here. So therefore, we, the evidence suggests that we had this place built up on top of the hill. And then they had a tower, which has to have been some kind of watchtower, right? Yes. I mean, why would you build one isolated tower separated from your celebratory party spot up here um, and right off on the cliff, right where the river comes around? I mean, it's it's in a very conspicuous, we're watching the entrance to the river kind of place, right? Yeah. Um, the evidence also suggests, I mean, the evidence of that tower on the cliff alone it doesn't just suggest it to me, it more or less proves that the elves of Kelendim, that is the elves who currently live here, namely the elves who presumably built uh, the newer architecture here, right? Yeah. Are not yeah. going to tear down the old buildings. Um, no. Because they've left them up. Even the one that is now an eyesore right next to their beauty spot down there, they've left that standing there, even though it's, uh, again, not attractive anymore. Um, Possibly not safe, but, you know, right. I'm assuming and, if they left it, it's safe. Yeah, and they haven't... Um, um, yeah, exactly as JJ says, but they will condemn them and ensure that no one can get inside and hurt themselves. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, For those elves who are merry as children. <laughs> exactly. Stay out of here, merry as children elves. Um, so, yeah, so they, they retain the memory of the of the history here. But, but the other conclusion that I'm prepared to draw is that there weren't any others of these. So the elves who built these older, this older generation of buildings didn't live down in Kelendim. Like they didn't live down by the co- by the shores of the river because if they did, their buildings would still be there. Some evidence of their buildings would still be there because the new elves wouldn't have torn them down as, as we have kind of proven. So, True. um, so maybe the river changed its course. Well, it's possible, certainly in an elvish, uh, uh, um, yeah, elvish timelines for yeah, sure. Elvish timeline. So we have this, but there's a gap, right? I mean, there's got to be a gap. If you've got ruins like this, and so, I mean, with the immortal elves, had there been a continuous line, right, continuous population between the old elves who lived up here, or at least 
partied up here. And the uh-huh. new elves who came and settled down in the in, next to the shores of the river, they would not have let him fall into ruin. They just would have maintained them, right? No, yep, that makes sense. So there has to have been a gap, a time gap. There has to have been a time when the old elves came and they built the party spot and they built the watchtower, and then they left, and yep. it fell into ruin. And then a new generation of elves that were like, "Hey, let's come live downhill uh, the- from the old party spot." Yeah, that implies that that the people here um, were either like this was this was uh, a permanent place, but one that you visited, not one that you stayed. Like maybe this is a military base, or maybe this is just the party place, or right. this is where, uh, maybe another kind of harbor was here. Right. And uh, when the use for that disappeared, that's when everyone either moved on or went back to Dwayland or something like that. And right. That, but eventually the use of the river came back. That's when they built the new settlement. Oh, yes. Is this then meant to reflect the fact that... So the new generation of elves, the elves who built Kelendim proper down there, uh-huh. um, is this to reflect the end of the Third Age? Like this has grown up that, you know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings speaks intermittently, um, you know, back from Sam's very first, um, conversation there in the, uh, you know, the green dragon, um, of the fact that elves now at this time, at the end of the third age are now setting sail more frequently. Like that, you know, there has been this increasing exodus of elves out of middle earth. Is that, the reason for the new, so like the, the elves who built the party spot up here um, yep. were part of the older generation of elves who, you know, would party hither and yon throughout Middle Earth, right? You know, in this sort of roving, um, uh, you know, enjoyment of pandemonium. <laughs> yes, this, 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 this party which wrote, which which rolled around the continent, right? Um <laughs> But they didn't settle here. They didn't establish themselves down at the riverside because they were not this. This was not a spot where people were ferrying, being ferried regularly down the river to the Grey Havens. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's an it's beautiful. It's by the river. There's beautiful trees here. You know, it's 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 your Epping Forest picnic. Right. I like uh, 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 Christie's suggestion here that. Kellendeem is the party campus. Uh, Ken Dyth took his classes here. That's why his black speech is rubbish. Uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I, can, I can believe that. Well, see, JJ, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it does. She's wondering if it's maybe before fall of Beleriand, um, when it would have been more inland and, and, and less important. Uh, certainly when we're thinking about, again, Elvish timelines, right? Uh, and... Um, you know, so when we see a ruin like this, there's every reason to. Th- I mean, yeah, this could have been a first stage party spot for all we know, right? Yeah, probably that does not. Make sense. But maybe, or maybe even, um, um, maybe even um, second age or whatever. Um, but yet, you yeah. can easily imagine if this had been a hot elvish party spot, um, you know, in um, like the early second age, 
right? After the War of Wrath and everyone is reestablishing themselves and finding new places to party in the newly reconfigured continent, right? Um, <laughs> they establish themselves here. And then again, as the Third Age begins to drag on, and especially now as the shadow begins to lengthen in the east and the elves are increasingly saying, you know what, let's head out, um, then... Uh, um, yeah, they you know this gets abandoned, and now the new settlement arises, focused on um, departure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it definitely becomes like a waypost, like on a train line or something. Architecturally, huh. this all this gold filigree stuff that we're seeing here. This is, um, I mean, surprisingly long lived. It is. And it's like the work that we see not only in, um, I almost said Arab or accidentally, it's not what I mean, Aregian, right? Um, uh-huh. It's like the ruins that we see in Aregian, the Noldoran yes. ruins that we see in Aregian. And it's also like the ones that we see in that swamp whose name eludes me at the moment in the North Downs, the place where Gorfindel is hanging out in game. Um no, Gildor, sorry, is hanging out in-game. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, okay, Gl- that makes more Glorfindel sense. standing by a waterfall. Gildor, Inglorian. Um, uh, oh, yes. Yes. Maluinen, thank you. Druid's fire, thank yes. Yep. Maluinen. Yep. Uh, yes. Um, it's like the ruins that we see there. The towers are kind of like some of the... Well, in Maluinen we see the gigantic columns. Anyway, it, it, it reminds me of that era. I can imagine Maluinen... Um, being a party spot like this one, right? Um, yeah, they like their their groves full of trees, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, those I mean, are but those are all ruins, all of them. That it does imply that whatever civilization built any of these buildings, nobody lives them in them. Yes, the age of elvish partying is over. The elves are not partying party's in Middle-earth, and the party's over for the elves in Middle-earth. And so we have all of these elvish party spots, which are now no more. Um, and they all went to Rivendell now. Yes. Exactly. So that's why we get the Tralalalali. It's the last great, it's not only the last homely house east of the sea, uh, it's the last hot elvish party spot east of the sea. It is the last refuge of the partiers. <laughs> exactly. It's the, 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 the place where the, the, the roving elvish party of Middle-earth has finally settled and, and will then peter out. Yep. Okay. No, this is... Close- Gandalf can make glow sticks for their raves and stuff. Yeah, no, this is this is this is coming clearer, and again, and and that gap is to me the really important thing, right? There has to have been yeah. it has to have been ruins when they built the new city, right? When they built yes. the new city down there, it has to have already have been ruins. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and you just think about things like how long the siege of Mordor was and all of that, you know? Yeah. It's it's like you have to consider that, you know, how long was Middle-earth running on a, a skeleton crew of elves maintaining these ancient fine buildings that require a lot of handiwork, probably. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Uh, if you had to pick a time, if I had to pick a time, so assuming that our archaeological conclusions are correct and that there was an era 
of you know the 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 um you know, frivolity the, the high water mark of elvish partying in middle earth right <laughs> and it ended Honestly. at some point right and then there was a gap yeah um yep. the war of the ring like the first war of the ring uh huh. you'd think would be the place right so like it's uh-huh. all fun and games until you start making rings of power um yeah so from you know the fall of celebrimbor through the fall of Gilgalad, right? That, you know, would seem to be like, that's the time when the party is over, right? Um, uh, this is where the fun stops, right? Is, uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's all fun and games until you lay siege to Mordor, right? Yeah. And then afterwards... Record scratch, beat drop. Yeah, exactly. Um, after that... And, of course, many elves will have died in the war and others yeah. have departed afterwards. Gilgalad's kingdom is no more. Um, I mean, this would have been, if we if we map it, right, and go back to the big old map, yeah. here we are. Um, so this is this is not in the center of Gilgalad's kingdom, which would have been on the other side of the mountains, right? It's over yes. here. Um, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks that the ruins of Linden and the Grey Havens would be an excellent area to be opened up in the game. Um, yes. I know I'm not the only one who has made that request, but clearly there is plenty of excellent material for this particular uh, part of the map. Just saying. But anyway, um, uh, we're, we're not there. We're not in the middle of, of Gilgalad's kingdom, but still um, in the... Um, uh, in the big picture, clearly the, 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 the parties would have been, but you know, Linden as a kingdom really ceases to be right. Yes. Um, so in that time, after the war of the ring, after the, after the, um, you know, the, 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 the war of the last Alliance that has to, then I say has to, I'm getting all confident now. That is the most probable time for when this began falling into a ruin, which then supports the idea that Kelendim itself was built in the latter portions of the Third Age. So say we give it a couple thousand years, right? Yeah. To fall into right. ruins. Um, and then like halfway through the, or like maybe in the final millennia, millennium of the Third Age, the elves build Kalendim and they're like, okay, cause we're, it's time to, it's time to head. Right. Well, people keep camping out at this one part in the river. So let's start building some bigger houses and residences here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. That works. That works for me. Gosh, it's getting late. But no, this is this is good. We've we've come to some, I think, some sound kink. We only needed to find we only needed to find one other set of ruins to sort of figure yep. this out. And look at that's a modern well, tower on the other side of it, isn't there? There, yeah. Well, there's lots more. Yeah, there's lots Ooh, more ruins wait, to look at. We got statue yep. face down. Darn it! I know, right? Do we recognize this statue? Have we seen this statue uh, elsewhere? This isn't the Gilgalad I, statue, is it? No, we've seen other ruined statues throughout Kalondim and that all kind of look similar to this. There might be one on the river near the um, that goes across to Dwelin. That if you go over the bridge, you go to the homesteads. But if you go down the hill, like when you were getting mm-hmm. the 
plants. There's another statue there that might be its twin. So we should definitely check out uh, Dwyland yeah. next time. Yeah, we'll this one is definitely around. an elf. It's definitely an elf statue. Yeah. yeah. They're wearing a hood though, and what looks like a like a rope belt or chain belt or something. Yeah, I mean, there's like a, a wait, isn't it? There's definitely a pointed ear though on this side. I don't know. It looks kind of rounded though. I mean, for elf ears. It's a little pointy, I agree. But of course, it could just be in hair or even in a hood. I'm on a hobbit, it looks different. Yeah. <laughs> um, you close to the ground people get a better view of some stuff. But given the law of conservation of statues, the law of the conservation of statuary in Lotro, we have to see this statue elsewhere. So I'm, I'm trying to impress the back of the torso of this elf statue in my mind so that I'll recognize it if I see it again. Yeah. Especially um, the, the, the layered, the layered sort of uh, yeah, cowl. Yeah. The, the kind of cowl the there. Exactly. That's what I was looking at. And in the, the belt. chain yep. or rope belt. And that hand, the left hand that's a, down that's by a very the waist. Good hand. Yeah. It's an interesting hand. It's not got anything. I mean, we see the fingers, but it's not got anything in it. Right. And it's, and it's not point, yeah, no, pointing. Yeah. That's the anything. hand people make when they don't know what to do with the hand that isn't doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so I'll have to look around yep. for that statue and see who this would have been. I like the idea. Um, who was who was saying that? Um, oh, yeah, Fourth Dauntless was saying that it's uh, maybe Kellendim was built after the fall of Arthodyne. Um, yeah, yeah, you could easily see after once Arnor falls and it looks like things are uh, clearly on the decline, the beginning of... Uh, um, the the yeah. beginning of the uh, of the the descent towards the end of the third age when everyone Time starts to get out to, of dodge yeah yeah starts to tell that but anyway I'd originally come over this direction and then before I noticed the statue yes that tower see we have as, as another modern tower right over there right one That's of where those the vineyard is. recreational towers right so this is this is the modern right there's the the vineyard yeah um when you guys were talking about the the ruins by the vineyard this is the one you were talking about right. Uh, there's another setup further. There's another setup further. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones that are Def- down by Duilon? Down uh, like yes. in the valley? That, right, yeah. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Th- that's with the goblins in that I was thinking of before. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, okay. I get them mixed up. Yeah. Now, I mean, again, I have vague memories of questing years and years ago with my one elf alt. <laughs> my one non-high elf elf alt. Uh, my lore master. Well, we got We'll have plenty of time to look through it. Yeah, we will. We will. Um, and, of course, in surveying around here, we also kind of rushed through the rest of Dula, and we never even went to the beauty spots. We'll probably have to go back. Uh, yeah, we'll have to go back and shrine. look at the shrine. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and maybe right. look at a few rest of the buildings, but then we can move our way north from yeah. there. And that housing area looks really lovely. I've never been in. Yeah. You should oh, go yeah. in. There's also yeah. now a swift travel too there from Kellendim and we long. Okay. Oh yeah, there is. That's his. Yeah. The but statue right down by the river. Yep. That lore master step. statue down by the bridge, the Dwarven bridge, is not the same as the one we were just looking it's at. It's not the same. Oh, okay. okay. I just want to, right. to know. Good. Yeah. Good. More All right. hunting to do. Well, we will continue to explore and try to Absolutely. understand. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving our theories. I think this works really well. Um, Really fun how we were, of course, doing a lot of, uh, you know, getting a glimpse of the history of the new, of the Dunedain um, through our search through the Lone Lands, you know, our explorations of the Lone Lands and of uh, mm-hmm. uh, the Trollshaws. And now 
uh, as we are going through Kellendim, getting a glimpse of the history of elves in the second and third age, both of Middle Earth. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. I'm pretty happy yeah. with our conclusions here. Um, what mountain is that that I'm looking at? Hmm. <laughs> Just mountains on the other side up towards the general even dim and luminous north of the Shire area. Anyway, so I just yep. noticed how very tall a mountain that is off in the distance. Anyway, okay. Thanks everybody for joining me. We'll stop here tonight. This was this was this was uh this was fun. Great thinking, great theories here. Um we shall return no, not next week. Next week I will week be after. away. The week after I will be we will have one more session between And then Myth Me. Yeah, before Myth Me. Exactly. And yep. In Mythmoot, we're going to have a Lotro session there, so I'm going to do a Lotro stream there, which will be fun. Um, Huzzah! You're going to need a posse. Yeah, I'm going to need a... Oh, yeah. I should mention that, because I am going to need to recruit folks. So, um, uh, we can... um, So, I decided what I wanted to do in my stream uh, at uh, at Mythmoot this year. I want to do the... Uh, the the path of the Hobbit run. I want to I want to start in like the Misty Mountains because I know it, there's no back door, so we can't start like from Rivendell and go through Goblin Town. <laughs> um, yeah. But I want to start from the Misty Mountains and follow the path of the company. I want to I want to I want to go to the Carrick and I want to go through <sighs> Mirkwood and then up to you know to the Elven King's Halls and then Lake Town and Dale and uh, Erebor. Um, all right, all right. A lot of that is are places I've never seen. I certainly have never seen the new place that just dropped today. Um, Me neither. And uh, I've never. I mean, I've I saw on stream. Um, uh, so, but mm-hmm. I've never myself wandered around uh, in Northern Mirkwood. Um, so, uh, I, I so that don't that, leave the path. That's what I want to do. So I'm totally going to need some like uh, level cap folks because i'm gonna do it with wigand who's my level 100 guardian so he's not like gonna be too squishy but he's gonna be pretty under level uh not <laughs> not hideously i mean 20 levels isn't so bad uh yes, also is considered <laughs> yes, um i'm not saying i'd be able to solo it i'm just saying I'm, they're probably not gonna be able to one-shot me i bet um, what's the worst that could happen what's the worst that could happen exactly so and i know that like all the deer and the moose are gonna attack me and everything but anyway so i'm definitely gonna need <laughs> I don't want to. I mean, I've seen, I've seen what the moose in that area are like, right? So, like, I'm. Mind you, moose bites can be pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to take any chances. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. As a, as a level 100 guardian, my hope is that I, I can survive a hit or two. Is, is, is my aspiration. But obviously, I'm going to need protection. So, um, people. Well, you know, who, I'm game. People who would like to who would like to help, um, we'll do it on Langevall, of course, because that's where all of my my other alts are. So I'll, I'll, I'll run uh-huh. it in Wigand. Um, uh, if you could message Valori and let her know um, if you want to be part of the posse, then uh, she can she can organize the posse, uh, and we'll um, um, we'll we'll 
head up there. So I don't want to spend too much time running away from things <laughs> or getting killed. Ideally, I, I'd like this to be a sightseeing tour. Um, though, keep in mind, if you're going to be one of the protectors, that the mobs are one of the things I often also like to look at. So, <laughs> so yes. uh, we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, so the time, Hologra, great question. This is going to be Friday night at, I believe, 9 p.m. server time is the time slot that we are scheduled for the Lotro stream at Mythmoot. And so we'll do this as, as we've done it before. We'll have a live audience in the room as well as the Twitch audience. So it's going to be a fun time. Uh, really looking forward to that. So we'll, we'll, we'll go through the Hobbit sequence and everything. Uh, and, uh, and that's going to, and so I think it's going to be a great combination, great combination of like me seeing parts of the game. I've never been to before, uh, as well as, uh, doing, you know, being able to be a really cool, um, walk through parts of, uh, you know, seeing their direct adaptation of, uh, of scenes from the book, from the Hobbit, um, uh, for folks who are, you know, are, are not Lotro gamers and are just interesting to, interested to see how the game connects with, the, uh, uh, with the book. So I think you'll enjoy it. The only yeah. thing I'm be curious about is to whether or not you'll be able to pick up the two deeds relating to the, the journey. Um, yeah, I didn't get to pick them up when I was on a level eight, but I don't know if Wigan will pick either of them up. Well, we'll see. We'll see if I can yeah. pick up the deeds. Cool. If not, it's all right. I'm just in it for the we'll sightseeing. See what we can do. But, all yeah. right. Go cool. anyway. We'll so that's the safe. plan. Um, so uh, let us know. We'll, we'll if you want to if you can be available to help on Langevall that uh, that evening, uh, and we'll get it sorted out. Okay. Thanks, everybody. See you guys in two weeks. If not, I've got do have all my other broadcasts this week. Um, Mythgard Academy tomorrow, Silm Film and Grifflet both on Friday. Uh, so uh, I definitely um, have a chance to see you guys later on this week. But if not, see you in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.